Episode 40 of Jobbing Out. I'm Aaron Oster, columnist for Rolling Stone and the Baltimore Sun. Uh, you hear me every week. Glenn is in Nashville this week for the winter meetings. Luckily for us, Terps Wrestling Stable, pretty big in this area, so I was able to go out and get a new tag partner here, Al Galdi. If you don't know Al, he's a host here at ESPN 980. He used to do a weekly wrestling segment called Off the Top Rope on his Saturday show. Al, thanks for coming in. Hey, if the Terps Wrestling Stable is the Four Horsemen, I am your Paul Roma, so I'm glad to be with you here. There we go. Always good to have Al on. Before we get to Roman Reigns and the rest of this awful, awful Raw, just want to remind everybody this show brought to you by WrestleCrate. WrestleCrate, a great product. It's a care package for wrestling fans. Every month, a box delivered to your door. It's packed with... Full of great wrestling products, shirts from Barbershop Window or Pro Wrestling Tees, DVDs, pictures, action figures from Mattel, pop vinyls. You get it all every month. And guess what? Subscriptions start at just $15 a month. Just $15 a month. The shirt itself usually retails for over $15, so you get even more than that. What's more, you include the code JOSENTME, that's jobbing out sent me. You get 10% off your first purchase. Go check them out at WrestleCrates on Twitter, WrestleCrate.com. It's a great product, and they bring you WrestleCrate every week. So, Al, uh, interesting build to TLC, yes. interesting go-home show, and it all revolves around Roman Reigns. Yeah, so Raw, it, it was another one of these shows, and this has been said ad nauseum, but the length really, I thought, hurt the product this week. And I, I always, at the end of Raw, because I watch it off DVR, I look to see how long exactly was this episode. How far beyond the three-hour mark did they go? And I saw about 3.15 was the length of this week's Raw. And, and I thought, starting with that, it's too much product. And that, that was the number one thing. But getting back to your point, when it comes to Roman Reigns, that last segment was way too long, way too drawn out, and the crowd told the story. The crowd was dead for about 95% of that until the spear threw the table. You know, there's a lot of good things about Roman Reigns. On, on this show, usually we're fairly positive about Roman Reigns. He's, a, you know, he's gotten to be a pretty good worker. He's okay. The problem is just the storytelling involving Roman Reigns has been miserable. Not all of it is WWE's fault. It seemed like they were going for the traditional face, you know, buzzsaw over top, you know, overcoming the longtime heel champion routine. That's fine. You know, we've seen that in the past work. Then it seemed like they were going, once that happened, once they started bringing in Sheamus, they were going to try to make him an underdog. Little bit of red flags there, but okay, you know, you can kind of see where they're going with it. It's worked in the past, again, trying to get a face over this way. The problem is this. Once they set him out as an underdog, they didn't make him an underdog. They set up this situation with the League of Nations and Sheamus, where hypothetically, you should have had the League of Nations beating down Roman Reigns right. at every turn. Well, where were they in that final segment? They, they weren't there in the final segment. There's no explanation for them not being there. Yeah, there's no explanation for that. You know, the, the Thursday before on SmackDown, I almost said Friday, but no, it is Thursday on SmackDown. While SmackDown doesn't tend to matter at much, we tend to kind of just pretend SmackDown doesn't exist. It matters when Roman Reigns is beating the League of Nations, your new super heel stable in a one-on-four handicap match. That sort of thing matters. Then you have, on Monday night, you have those four, you know, the, the start of the show with the four teams, which is weird. You know, they kind of did the reverse thing on Raw where they made all the important stuff go yeah. at the beginning. Um, and more on that a little bit later where you have four teams after Survivor Series and mm-hmm. that doesn't really make a lot of sense. But you end it with Reigns pinning Sheamus cleanly. Why would you do that if you're WWE? Well, the thought process, and this is you know traditional booking, of you make people think that they're about to see a title change. But the issue here is 
Sheamus is not a particularly strong champion. And tying back to the League of Nations thing, that's about as weak of a top heel stable as you're ever going to see. You've had Wade Barrett doing job after job since over the last year plus. You've got a guy in Del Rio who's had very weak direction since he came back, and they're already abandoning what he's doing with Coulter. And you've got a guy in Rusev who has not been booked nearly as strong over the last, say, six months as he was over his first year. So why should people buy these guys as a threat? This is a mid-card group. This is not a top-heel stable. Yeah, But the thing is, I think you could have made them a, a top-heel. Because all of them individually, well, maybe not Del Rio, but the other three at least, you could kind of make the case that, okay, if you put them in the right situation, they could be bad. You know, Rusev, we talk about him constantly on this show. We think he's great. And he has the ability, I think, to be a true top heel. They just haven't booked him particularly well. You put all these guys together, and if they are wrecking the rest of, you know, basically all the faces on the card, you could buy them as just a heel wrecking ball I think stable. it takes a lot. I think you, especially with Barrett, it takes a lot of rehab. And you, yeah. you can't just put guys together randomly like they have here. Like, this should have been building up over the course of weeks and months of, okay, first let's say Sheamus and Rusev are teaming up, and then Del Rio enters the picture, and then they complete it with Barrett. Like, that's how you put a heel yeah, stable together. Exactly. You don't just all of a sudden wake up and go, okay, this week these four guys are together. Th- th- this thing will not last beyond three months. I, I will guarantee you that. Oh, it wouldn't surprise me if they break up after TLC, yeah. just with the way everything's going, with the direction yeah. that they have. Uh, you know, the main thing, if you are going to just randomly put together, you have to give them, not necessarily you have to give them a reason, but you have to give people a reason to believe that they are together, to be like, right. oh, this is a big stable. Right. You can't have them come together and then immediately job to Roman Reigns over and over and over again. And the whole thing of, like, <laughs> League of Nations, like the evil foreigners have yeah. banded together. I mean, right. that, that's so 1985. That's so Vince reaching back in, into 30 years ago. Like, this. That in and of itself is a problem with them. Right. But after that first segment where you have Reigns pin Sheamus for absolutely no reason, they, you know, they could have pinned Barrett and it would have served their purposes. You then have that main event segment where, you know, they're coming out and they're acting like Sheamus is still the top dog and, you know, Roman Reigns tried to dethrone him when he's beaten Sheamus on every occasion mm-hmm. that they've been together. It's really backwards booking, and quite frankly, it gives people no reason to cheer for Roman Reigns. Unless they're so disenchanted with the current direction, and they look at the ratings, and they say, we're pulling the plug on this Sheamus thing as soon as this Sunday. And maybe they're just looking at it like that, where we're just going to book them week, we're going to have Reigns go over, and we're going to try something else. Because what we're doing right now, I mean, it's been a disaster the last few weeks, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if Reigns wins on Sunday, and, and they fast-forward to where they probably wanted to get to in January or February. But is it really better to do that than to... I don't know what's better. I, I know what, what it is. I mean, listen, there, there are fundamental things that need to be fixed. Right. It doesn't matter who's... They could bring back CM Punk, and it's not going to be any better over the long haul if they don't fix some fundamental flaws. But in terms of, like, the here and now, it can't be much worse. There is so little juice to these shows. And, all again, go back to that crowd in that final segment. That crowd was sitting on its hands. I mean, that was embarrassing. Well, if if they were seeing, did you see all of those pictures that were tweeted out about people leaving in mass before the main event segment started? Oh, I did not see that. No. Yeah, they they were showing pictures like behind, you know, the uh, the camera section that's not on TV. Yeah. And it was just it was a stream of people going up the aisles. And, and by the way, too, with Reigns, you know, we talk about how he's booked. Having him call the the. the in theory, top heel tater tots. Oh, yeah, over uh, and over yeah, again. That's not going to do it, Vince, okay? No. I mean, that, that's not that far from suffering succotash. When right. you start going tater tots, ta- like, come on. 
I mean, really? Like, you think that's going to catch fire, really? That, that's one of those things that you wonder, you know, when you're thinking, trying to put yourself in Roman Reigns' shoes, how he didn't just go up to the grave and say, tater tots, like, that's the best we can do. He's probably afraid. He's I, probably I, afraid. And I get that. At, at some point, though, if you're going to be the top guy, you have to have the balls to go up and be like, look, you know, you're, you're making me cheesy. I get it. You kind of want me to be kid accessible. Yeah. But I'm not going to say tater tots seven times that, in the course a of a promo. line, tater tots. It's not even a, that's beyond a scene line. Well, no, actually, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's very well within his grasp. But yeah, it's not, it's not, he's not Cena and they desperately want him to be Cena. But the, the tater tots thing, like right there, you're just like, really? That's what you came up with? And, and you know, it's being reflected in the ratings right now. Yeah. It, this is a serious problem. And as much as we put it on Reigns and the, the booking reign, and it is a big problem that they feel, okay, we have to get Reigns over at any cost, even if it means we're going to dedicate our entire show to doing this. As much as it's everything on the show. There is so little that gets the audience's attention at this point. You know, the New Day, maybe. Kevin Owens, maybe, but even that is, you know, you, you look at his set, his wrestling match, which was fine with Ambrose, but it was just wrestling for the sake of wrestling, and then Ambrose threw coke in his face. Um, yeah, Owens and Ziggler. Yeah, it was yeah. a good match. Or, yeah, Owens and Ziggler. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah. Um, but, you know, there's just nothing there that really, gra- like, if you were just looking at it, what segment, were there any segments that you were like, okay, this is what you need to see if you're a wrestling fan? I thought Owen Ziggler was a good match. I thought that I was intrigued to see Flair. That segment ended up not being very good, but it was intriguing to see him. And, you know, I, I, I watched the New Day with Bad, and it was entertaining, but I can't get past the point of, how come every African-American wrestler has to dance? You know, like, like it's it's another one of these things where you're like, I'd be careful with that stuff, yeah. where every African-American wrestler is either a total goof like Ron Killings or is a dancing fool like the New Day and now say, like Bad. Our, our truth, our truth covers both, the goof and the dancing. Yeah, you know, you're, you're treading in some sensitive waters with that stuff. And again, it's like, get your head out of the 1970s and, and try to update yourself a little bit. But that segment was entertaining. But like I said, the, the sort of a, a larger macro point with that segment with, with, that I would be careful with. But beyond that, no. And and it's 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 even like little things. Like you know, we mentioned we. I know you and I talked off the air about this. But with with the Neville thing with Miz, where, where you are outwardly telling people this guy's boring. This guy looks like a dwarf. You know, this guy this guy has goofy ears and he looks funny. Why are you making it a point to say that? They used to have a rule that you couldn't point out that Hogan was bald back in the 80s. They've gone a complete 180 on that, where they actively try to point out people's flaws. Why are you doing that? Even if he's not gonna, he Neville is not going to end up with the Miz. You don't tell people what's wrong with your wrestlers. That's one. That's like booking 101. And, and but they seem to get off on doing that. It's really weird. They did it with Daniel Bryan, too, even when yes. he was champion. When he was champion, they had JBL belittling him the entire time. They, they did it. I mean, you go back to Lance Storm 15 years ago boring. when they talked about he's boring. Yeah. You know, with Christian, when they when uh, Austin would talk about how he, how he looks like a creep. creep you you don't bastard, say yeah. these things. You don't point these things out. I, I just, I, I, it makes me, I, I can't get over something. When Triple H pointed out that Chris Masters had lost all that weight when they started drug testing, why are you pointing that out? I, I like that to me was insane. 
And who again, who knows where they're going with the Neville thing, but it's really bad, and it speaks very poorly for how they think of him because they obviously see him as a mid-carder and nothing more. Yeah, I mean, I almost hope that they do end up putting him with Miz because I think that could be an entertaining pairing, but I think more likely it's that it's just going to lead to a feud directly between Neville and Miz. At, at best, I think you get Miz to find a new protege to go up against Neville, and to be fair, Miz is pretty good in that role. He but, is, but what happens with these guys afterwards? Right, you know, exactly. Where, where's Damian Sandow? Has anyone seen him? Right, exactly. And that's that's the big problem with it. What do you think WWE is thinking right now? It's clearly that they have very little direction right now. Do you think that they're just like, God help us, we need to get to Royal Rumble. Everything will get better after the Rumble to, once we get on the road to Mania, and we're just going to put whatever we can? Or do you think they actually might have a plan here? Well, I think they have a plan. I don't think it's very good. I, I think they have. There's too many. There's too many chefs in the kitchen. You know, whatever cliche you want to use. There's too many writers on staff. I think that they are not capable of consistently putting out week in and week out five entertaining hours of primetime TV. I think this move of SmackDown to USA in January is going to mean next to nothing for that show. I think there'll be an initial attempt to try to make SmackDown more important. Then I think it's going to regress to right back to where it's been for years now. And I think that the, the, the larger problem is that you have really an Al Davis situation with Vince where he was great years ago, he's not great anymore, he's gotten older, he's a guy who changes his mind constantly, and he's not someone who should be in charge of the overall direction of the product. I know that's sacrilege to say, and no one's ever going to point it out internally, but that's the biggest issue. If, I mean, if you follow this stuff, you follow the inner workings, him changing his mind is 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 the number one problem creatively, and it's been a problem for a long time. And the success they have comes in spite of Vince, not because of him. I mean, it's hard to disagree at this point. And I, I think the inconsistent booking, for whatever the reason, whether it's because of Vince, whether it's because the writers can't get anything together, it might be the most bizarre part of this. You're coming off of Survivor Series, a pay-per-view based around teams. You really didn't have any teams going into that. You could have had teams. They had teams in the summer, but for whatever reason, they disintegrated by the time Survivor Series came around, so you ended up having two really weird, uh, just thrown-together teams. Then, as soon as Survivor Series ends, you have four pretty solid teams going at each other. It's amazing. It's absolutely—how does that happen? It happens because they're desperate for ratings, and they say, well, let's try something we haven't tried in a while. Let's throw 16 guys. Let's have 16 people in a match at once. And see how that works. And, uh, and yeah, so that's what it is. It's, it's totally random. I, I mean, like, j- just think about something like TLC coming up on, uh, on Sunday. It, it used to be with these gimmick matches that there was a reason for the gimmick match. Not that, like, this was the pay-per-view that popped up on the mm-hmm. schedule. You know, like, like, just something as basic as that. They're incapable of doing that anymore. They have to, they have to schedule ladder matches. They have to schedule Hell in a Cell uh, pay-per-view because they're incapable of sort of pacing themselves to, to have feuds peak to where, okay, now we need a cage match, let's do right. it. Now we need a ladder match, let's do it. Like, just that by itself is something that really stands out. i tell you something else, too, going back to League of Nations real quick. When you're putting together a heel stable, they completely ignore past feuds. Sheamus and Del right. Rio feuded, right? <laughs> right. The, exactly. whole, the whole birdie thing, right? Yep. They don't acknowledge that at all. It's like it never happened. Good storytellers reward people for following what they've been doing. WWE punishes you. Mm-hmm. They make you feel like a sap for following the product. Yeah, I went up to uh, Shikara over this past week, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in this show. But one of the things that they're known for is, you know, on, on Saturday, they culminated a three-year-long storyline there. Yeah. They don't 
can't even do a three month long story. No, and and you don't have to. I mean, three years is obviously yeah, excessive, right? But they are more than capable of doing something that plays out over six, nine, twelve, eighteen months. You know, the classic example is the Hogan Savage feud, eighty eight to eighty nine. It started at WrestleMania four. It peaked at WrestleMania five. It's not that hard. It it is more than doable. I know injuries come up. You can still work your way around those things. They can't do it. And uh, and it's it's really aggravating to watch. It, yeah, there's not much you can say about. It. Is there anything you are looking forward to? We're not going to really have you on for the TLC segment, which we have on, of course, with Seattle Seahawks defensive lineman AJ Francis there you will go. join us in the next segment. Dirty we'll Terp. Ba- That's right, the Terp coming in. So it's an all Terp show, as it normally is. We love our Terps here, but uh, we won't have you on for segment two. Uh, is there anything you're really looking forward to when it comes to TLC? Because you know TLC. Like you said, it's not normally built all that well, but normally you kind of look at it and you're like, oh, this this could kind of be an exciting match here. This could be an exciting match. Is there anything you're really looking forward to when it comes to TLC this year? Yeah, I mean, the irony with WWE is the storytelling has never been worse, but the in-ring work has never been better. The, these guys can all work. They all work hard. I mean, if you, if you go back to, like, the 90s and 80s, an issue was guys didn't always try very hard. That that problem has disappeared over the last 10, 15 years. Every match guys are trying, and, and every match is good. You very very rarely see like a real stinker of a match. So to me, I think Sheamus Reigns is going to be good. I think the tag match is going to be good. Um, I, I even think something like Ryback Rusev could be good. You know, Ryback doing the, uh, the twisting plancha on Monday yeah. night. Like these guys try. So the criticism people like you and me have for the product, is in no way an indictment of the roster. The talent is there. These guys are busting it. It's how these guys are, are being portrayed and how they're being used. That's the problem. Absolutely. It, do you think anything of note happens at TLC? I guess that's the bigger question. Or is this just going to be another forgettable pay-per-view that just is like, okay, we have to have this here. Let's just get to the Rumble. Now. I think Reigns could win the belt. I, I think things could could be uh, – WWE – I mean, Whatever we want to say about Vince, he is aware of the ratings. He is aware that people are rejecting the status quo. The, the question becomes, okay, how soon does he pull the, the trigger on getting the belt off of Sheamus? In theory, they were going to do that in January or February. They may do it this Sunday. And I think that, to me, is going to be the most intriguing thing, is do they finally put the strap on Reigns, and, and do, they, do they sort of readjust here? Because, again, people have been spitting up on what they've been doing these last few weeks. I mean, it, it's pretty embarrassing. You're seeing mainstream articles being written about how apathetic people are with this product. Yeah, the, the one problem with reaching out to the mainstream around WrestleMania time is that now all of a sudden the mainstream is aware of what could go down as one of the worst eras, you know, at least short-term eras in WWE history. It is. It feels a lot like the early to mid-'90s before you had the whole Attitude Era, and that's the one thing I'm sort of clinging to is that Sometimes things have got to get really bad before they get really good, and maybe this is the really bad, and maybe we look back on a, you know this current circumstance a year from now the same way people will look back on 95 and 96 as, you know what, things got boring and they got stale, and then they turned around, and, and maybe we are coming up on the turnaround. That's the hope. You know, I think the one thing you could say about the mid-90s is that it at least seemed like they had a plan. They were, you know, building the new stars up. They were kind of, okay, we're going to get our asses kicked here. But once this comes together, this is going to be a good thing. My concern here is they don't have that plan. Well, they don't have place. the competition. You know, right, and that, exactly. that, that's the issue is, is so what if the product is still? And that's been the issue since 01, since WCW and ECW went away. WWE wants to have success on its terms, doing things its way as opposed to doing what works. And that's a big, big issue. There's, gonna, there's another pay-per-view this weekend. It's a UFC pay-per-view. It's Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo. 
that's going to do numbers through the roof. You talk about what people are accepting versus what people are rejecting. This weekend is going to tell a story that Vince and everyone else in that company should be monitoring and following. I don't know that they are. It's really, you know, with the network, they're going to boost. Oh, you know, we had 1.5 million people watching it when, in fact, you know, who knows how many. I think, you know, as, as much as we complain about it, you know, we're still watching I, I, the network's we're sick in the head, though. Yeah, not not everyone's sick in the and, head. And, like and that's you and the me. problem. And I think that what's going to be interesting is, you know, you had over the past few months uh, a boost in casual fans buying the network. You had a bo- with with Sting wrestling on the pay per view with Lesnar coming back. You had some people get in who hadn't necessarily been an every month subscriber to the WWE network. I'm curious to see when those quarter four reports come out what sort of turnover there is mm-hmm. because I think more than anything, Vince has gotten himself in a position where they'll at least say the ratings don't matter quite as much as they used to, both because of the change of landscape in TV with DVR and everything. And because so much of their money comes from the network comes from everything else. If the network starts to go down, that's when you're going to start to see some real panic. I think from them. Yeah, and and I still very much question the financial model with the network. I don't understand pulling the plug on pay-per-view as WWE has when clearly pay-per-view still works. See Pacquiao Mayweather, see Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey in the UFC. I think they've hurt DVD sales, which used to be a major revenue stream for them because what's the point of buying DVDs when you can access it via the network? And while the network has a lot of good programming, I mean, they they do a good job with the network. It's not a must-have. And, you, you know, you get five free hours, quote-unquote, every week with Raw and SmackDown. Until you put really Raw on the network, it's not a must-have for the WWE fan. Yeah, they need to do something. We've talked about this a lot in the past, that they should do more storyline development yes. on the network, make it a must-have. Yeah. But, um, you know, right now, it's working okay for them. Their stock is, you know, staying pretty stable. Their financials are, you know, staying fairly stable for the most part. And I think until that happens, they're not going to pull any plug. You know, for a wrestling fan, it's brutal to sit through. And this was even, you know, I was at Monday Night Football, so I didn't get to watch it live. I almost always watch it live. I actually went through with a DVR this time. And even only watching about an hour of it, I was upset by it. Like, I could barely stand to watch it. And that's rare for someone like us. It's tough. It's it's a tough watch. The three-hour thing, it's, it's a USA thing. It's not a company thing. They, they, I really wish they could get out of that. It's it's really hurt the product, and uh, they're not, you know, a good booking staff would have a hard time filling five hours every week. What they've got, you know, with the turnover, too, I mean, it's the writers change every five minutes. They cannot consistently give you five quality hours. They just can't. What if you're if you're the writers if you're Vince right now at least for the short term what do you try to do to at least get it up to somewhat respectability? I mean I don't, this isn't realistic but I would put Paul Heyman in charge of creative. I'd fire eighty percent of the writing staff. I'd, I'd have a small committee of Paul Heyman and a few other people. If you want to keep Stephanie on, go ahead and do it, but make it clear that Paul's in charge and you have him restructure this. Paul was a master at getting the most out of a little. Uh, you know, the, the idea of him having a lot to work with, as we saw with that SmackDown run in the early 2000s, that's the kind of mind that could get this thing turned around creatively. Anything short of that, I, I don't think is going to mean much. I really don't. Wait, what can you do creatively? Obviously, let's say they do what do what you say and put the belt on reins. Do you have them immediately move away from Sheamus for the Rumble? Do you bring in a new challenger? 
do or do you just kind of say, okay, we're going to do Sheamus just to have him get his rematch, and then by the time the Rumble's over, we have everything in place? Yeah, I mean, having to work within the confines of it has to be Reigns, and we have to do things the WWE way. I would have Reigns beat Sheamus on Sunday. I'd have him destroy Sheamus in a rematch on Raw. They're going to have to rehab Sheamus after. This is unfair to Sheamus in a lot of ways because he, you know, he's doing what he's told. Sheamus is a good hand. He's been, he's, being, he's been put in a bad position, in my opinion. But, yeah, I'd have Reigns be a dominant champion, and you'd go into WrestleMania with him facing, you know, and I, I don't know how feasible this is, but you, you try to do something where Reigns faces, say, The Rock. And I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't Apparently, know if The Rock's it, available. Apparently, it sounds like his, whatever his insurance with the movie he's doing right now won't allow him to All do All right, that. well, then if The Rock is out, then I would, I would, I would actually seriously consider Rock, or excuse me, Reigns and Brock. And yeah. if you, that means turning Reigns heel and having Heyman join Reigns, go ahead and do that. And I thought they should have done that last year at WrestleMania. Or you have Reigns go heel before Mania, and you have if if some by some miracle Rollins is healthy, you do that. But if if they're going to be insistent on Reigns having to be champion, then go ahead and do it now, and and just try to force a way to make it work over these next few months. It's not impossible. But it's going to be really hard, and they may have to turn him heel. But again, they don't want to do that. So I, I don't even know if that would even be realistic, him as a heel champion. It's definitely rough. It's about, you know, I'm usually one of the optimistic ones on this show, and after Monday night, it's real hard to be optimistic right now about it, being a wrestling fan. It's a tough spot. And you know what also hurts is every year we go through this where there's the post-mania lull. You have a little bit of a surge around SummerSlam, and then it dips down. The final four months, September through December, almost every year, really are bad creatively. Even in some good times, they've lagged a little bit. And they can never figure it out. They, they, you know, like to me, save some of your special attractions for these down months. Like a, a guy like Sting, I would have saved him for post-mania. Save him for September through December. Well, and, he was in September. He did get the title shot in, in September. And to be fair, they did do the Lesnar-Taker thing throughout the fall it's just these past couple months but let me ask you this if sting doesn't get hurt i don't think he's still around i think he was going to be done at least for now after that match with rollins uh probably yeah Yeah. so i would have kept him around longer i I would have figured out a way to do that i think they need to look harder at at that type of thing because mania is mania the name itself is going to sell i think sometimes they overload on mania now this year may be different because they don't seem to have access to rousey or to rock you know we'll see what happens with sting but they've got to be more cognizant of the calendar and and this is a this is a problem every year. That the last quarter of the year they have a real or the last third of the year they have a real hard time with. Well, you know what? It's always a solution for WWE that we're going to have by the the end of this month. John Cena, yes, the savior, <laughs> the savior. All right, with that we're going to move to segment two. AJ Francis, the main event is going to be joining us for segment two. Al will be back for segment three where we talk about Shakara and a big anniversary that we just hit today. You're listening to Jobbing Out. Wrestling fans, it's time for Wrestle Crate. Wrestle Crate is a pro wrestling themed mystery package that appears in your mailbox every month with action figures, pop vinyls, DVDs, wrestling books, fat heads, and much, much more. Plans start at only $15 a month and every crate contains a t-shirt from ProWrestlingTees.com or BarbershopWindow.com. Those t-shirts are $19.99 by themselves. Check them out at WrestleCrate.com and follow them on Twitter at WrestleCrates and search WrestleCrate on Facebook. Book. 
And that right there, the theme for TLC. Of course, it is the week of TLC here on Jobbing Out, which means, well, we have the monthly tradition that we all love. We won't be with Glenn this time, but of course, we have... The main event. Man, man. Seattle Seahawks D-lineman A.J. Francis joining us. And A.J., coming off a weekend, you uh, got some playing time. Yeah, it was dope. Um, got to play in a game. We played really well as a defense and as a team in general. Beat the Vikings. Um, kept our win streak going. I don't want to say I'm good luck, but we're undefeated since I've been here, knock on wood. So. Did, did you do Hopefully the... that will continue when we go back home to Baltimore this week. Did you do the unicorn horns again? Uh, I wish, but no, there was no Seahawks fans ever doing unicorn horns with me on the sideline. Were you guys, was that an away game? Yeah, it was in Minnesota. Ah, okay. Well, that would explain why then. Uh, speaking of unicorn horns, have you, have you ordered yours yet? No, I have not. I heard they're sold out though. Yeah, they're sold out, but apparently they're still taking orders and they're going to get another shipment and everything. So I, I assume. I I have literally every other piece of merch of New Day other than the unicorn horns, including both, all three of the shirts that they have, the green one, the blue one, the red one, the blue hoodie with the horn on the hood, um, and the New Day socks, which I'm currently wearing. So, yeah, it's uh, I'm kind of a New Day market. Just a little bit there, just a little bit. And, and that's clearly our uh, headwear of choice for Mania Crawl this year. We did the masks two years ago. Are, are, we, are we definitely going with the horns this year? I feel like there's no choice but to be. All in favor of New Day. My plan is for them to hold the time. I don't think anyone deserves to take it from them. We will. Uh, we we will see. But let's let's get here to uh, TLC now. TLC. Uh, I did the show with uh, Al Galdi. Did the first segment with Al Galdi, and uh, we were really down and raw. So I'm hoping that you, with your infinite positivity, your inf- infinite optimism. D- did you have anything good to say about Raw, other than, of course, the uh, the bad day? Uh, combination there? I didn't think Raw was terrible. I didn't, it was just another episode of Raw. I mean, I mean, the same people who cheer for the New Day and hear them talk about the power of positivity are always negative, which is all you must. But, <laughs> you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But we do have TLC. Um, you know, it's it's funny that the matches on paper, they all look fine. I, I, it looks like all six. The the builds to it questionable, but the matches themselves not really all that bad. You have uh, at least the, there's one real stinker that looks like it's uh, showing up, and and we'll start out with that one. Uh, Del Rio versus Jack Swagger in a chairs match for the United States title, just kind of put out there. Del Rio now dumping Zeb. Maybe Zeb will come back and he will join Jack Swagger again, that might not be terrible, but uh, what's your take on this match? Um, I honestly think, I think they'll put on a good match because they did it in the past when they went against each other. Um, but I don't think there's any way that the Rio can lose. I can see Zeb coming back out and joining the Rio again so that it was just a, a, a plot for them to get Jack Swagger, and then that can continue the feud, I guess. You know, I, I, I don't I don't really. I think there's no other way than for Del Rio to win. You, you think there's no way Del Rio will lose, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you know, the the whole Zeb Swerve thing might be okay, except I, I was kind of hoping that this would be a situation where, 
you know, they've realized that Ze- the Zeb and Del Rio pairing just isn't working. And this is one of the few times where they're actually willing to admit their mistakes here. So they're pulling the plug early on it. Who knows if that's actually what it's going to be. But uh, I was kind of hoping for that when he rolled away there. Uh, Glenn, I did ask for Glenn from Nashville to comment on every match and give his prediction. Uh, his line about this, Del Rio wins on, and no one on the planet gives a half shit. The half shit is still about 50% more than Del Rio gives right now. And, you know, that's kind of what he's showing in the ring. Del Rio's fine. He was great in his time off, but so far he's been pretty much just going through the motions, it feels like. I hope that once they, now that they've moved past this whole Mex-America thing and moved back past this, you know, pretty awful feud, or I don't even know if to say if it it's an awful feud, but it's just not that good, not that compelling, and hopefully something sparks his interest. Uh, I don't think that, I mean, has he? he's only had one other pay-per-view singles match. Right. So or wait, like, did, did that, he have one last? match was great. Well, he had one, uh, he had the match against Reigns last month. Uh, oh, yeah, last which was month. also, I'm sorry, so he had two pay-per-view singles matches. That okay, fair. The, the, the pay-per-view matches have been fine. The Raw matches have felt like he's been kind of bored and going through the motions. Fair to say? But here's the thing, though. The reason why people like you and Glenn say things like that is because you don't like Del Rio to begin with. Oh, no, I, I thought Del Rio... Because, because, because... You could say the same exact thing about Kevin Owens. You know, and and some people, I mean, uh, uh, Melissa Joan Hart said Melissa Joan Hart said Kevin Owens has been looking lazy in the ring as well. Mm -hmm. And and yet he's still fantastic, and yet he's still awesome. But Dario doesn't get that benefit of doubt because people don't like him to start off, and I think that's BS. Because you know, going back to the day, I've always been a Dario guy. I think the the one problem, at least for me, when it comes to Del Rio, is that when he was away from WWE, when he was wrestling on Lucha Underground, when he was wrestling for AAA, his matches, his intensity, it seemed like everything was ramped up a whole lot than what it is now. So I'm comparing the, his matches now to the matches that he put on in Lucha Underground, for example. And it seems like two completely different guys. That That's my big problem right now, is that he really does not look like he has the same fire as he did when he was out of WWE. Now, whatever the reason, you know the WWE style is completely different. Oh yeah, no, I'm, but it's not just a stylistic thing. It was it, intensity because it looked like he had it for that Cena match. He had a little bit of intensity to him. He had a little bit of fire. I mean, he looks as far as his just physical look goes, he looks the best as he ever has in WWE. He looks like you know a god right now. It's just that his matches aren't quite living up to that and aren't living up to his matches in, for example, Lucha Underground. Which even though it you know, they are slightly different styles. His match with John Morrison was very much wrestled in a WWE style as well. At the same exact time, you're completely forgetting the fact that he's only had two pay-per-view matches. Right, I know, I know. It's it's more that I'm, I'm disappointed and with his TV matches. You're right, the pay-per-view matches have been fine for the most part. And which is why I think he'll have another good one and win it versus Jack Swagger on Sunday. Fair enough. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the chairs come into play. The chair, have they used chairs at all in this gimmick, in this uh, feud at all? Because it feels like they just kind of randomly assigned that to this match. I think that Del Rio is going to put a chair on Swagger's face when he does the stop from the top turnbuckle, and that's how it went. Oh, that's the other thing I hate about Del Rio. That finisher's terrible, but we'll, we'll move what? on. What? Oh, that finisher's so bad. 
Why? Mainly because you you have them, hang, you know, hanging in the tree of woe position. There's no time in the history of wrestling where a person has ever reached up and just hung there for a few seconds. Like, that's never happened before in wrestling. And then all of a sudden they start doing it just to set up this finisher, and I, I just hate that setup. It makes no sense on any sort of level. Anyways, moving on to the next match. Uh, we have the Survivor Series match only a month late here. We have an elimination match, a four-on-four elimination match, with uh, the Wyatt family and the ECW originals. It is a table elimination match, and... Uh, yeah, I really, you know, this should have been a Survivor Series. Not really. Well, Not no, because they were dealing, obviously, with Undertaker and Kane, but it's just, it's really funny that they get together this group of ECW originals after the pay-per-view that involves teams. True. Um, but I think that uh, uh, I, this match, you know, I, I think it'll be fun. I think there'll be a bunch of good spots, but there's not really much to talk about because you know the why you're going to win. How many times have we said we know the Whites are going to win and they don't win? I agree with you 100%. If they have Tommy Dreamer and Rhino beating the Wyatt family, um, yeah, yeah, that would just be a complete and utter joke. It, it really would be. And you have to take into account that Braun Strowman is physically too big for any of these old guys to put him through a table. Unless Rhino steers him through a table, which I could see. Oh, sorry, gores him through a table. Gore, gore. Um, yeah, I mean that—that's actually. I kind of expect him to go through a table just because it'll be good. You know, he'll be standing on the apron after doing something ridiculous, and you know, Rhino will gore him, or just you know, somehow he ends up falling through a table. It won't be you know a decisive. Oh my God, he you know he got the advantage taken on him. It, it's just more of a he's going to drop through a table. He'll be on out on the apron, and you know, every big man always goes through that. Sp- in a tables match. True. Um, but I still think the Wyatts win handedly. Yeah, uh, Glenn predicts the Wyatts as well. This is the part where we say they have to beat someone, but they obviously don't. So, shit, maybe they'll just go and let them lose to Tommy Dreamer. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're all on the same page here where it would be a complete joke if Tommy Dreamer and Rhino are beat the... It, it would... You know, we, we've been talking about the Wyatt family are still... You know, they're able to lose and still get around because typically they're losing to people in, in the upper card, people that isn't necessarily ashamed to be losing to. If they lose to a bunch of guys who weren't wrestling three months ago, that would just be the worst, just the absolute worst. Yeah, but and it would be. But also we're entering the time when Bray Wyatt seems to get his push. He always gets a push right after Survivor Series. Because he he gets his push building up to WrestleMania in which he does the job for somebody. Exactly. You know, he'll, he'll, <laughs> he'll do that. He'll look good in the Rumble. He'll eliminate like five or six people and, and be he'll awesome win, doing he'll, it. He'll, he'll win his match at fast, sorry, at fast lane like he did um, last year. But he's, he'll just lose at Mania. That's what he does. I really wonder where they're going with him for me. There's not really a purely, you know, an obvious choice. Last year... Uh, you know, we had started to hear rumors about Undertaker. Same with, you know, Cena. They had made it pretty much at this point pretty apparent that they were going in that direction. Uh, not really an obvious person this year. So that'll be one of the things to really pay attention to. Because I really don't know exactly where they go with him. There there are a couple... You know what I think would be really good? Go for it. I, I, this would... It would take... It would take Brock Roman not being the main event of WrestleMania. 
But I think Bray Brock has the potential to be awesome. It would be fine. I wouldn't hate it. I, I just, you know, you're then having him get squashed again. I, I, I don't know if it would be as fun I don't to think see him. He would him. have to lose that match because he would have four, three people outside of the ring. Yeah. I just, you know, of all the guys who I want to see Brock, you know, German suplexing 15 times in a match, Bray Wyatt's just, I don't know what it is. I, I don't, you know, it's fine. It would be a fine match. I wouldn't hate it for sure. But there are a number of guys who I'd rather see Brock face and I feel like could, I don't know about use the rub necessarily, but uh, it would make for a more high profile match. Actually, you know who would be interesting? Uh, Br- Bray and Randy one-on-one. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, granted, we don't know if Randy's even going to be available for WrestleMania. All of a sudden, his surgery that he has to have is more severe than originally thought. Possibly, it might be a neck issue. So, we don't even know if he's going to be back in time for Mania. But if he was, that wouldn't be a terrible choice. No, and and you could have Randy Orton do the job because he went over last year at Mania. Yeah, that that wouldn't be terrible. But we'll see. You know, another time the injury bug is just really killing. Uh, WWE for this year's WrestleMania. Uh, next match on the card, Intercontinental title, Kevin Owens, Dean Ambrose. Should be a good match. Uh, I'm a little disappointed with the way that they've developed this feud simply because they haven't let these guys really go at it on the mic much. But, um, you know, it, it's going to be a great match, that's for sure. Um, I think I think Kevin Owens is going to either lose by disqualification or he's going to win by putting the steel on the ropes or something of that nature. The feud continues with Kevin Owens. Uh, but yeah. we do know it will be a fantastic match. Oh yeah. It's going to be a great match. Like I, I just, and, and hopefully that's the only reason they haven't let these guys talk and they're having Ambrose, you know, throw soda in his face instead is because they know this is going to go on. So they want to hold off on some of these great promos. Cause these are two of the top five best guys on the mic in the company. Something like that. I could easily see this dude going to mania. I could see it. I could see it. You, you throw in some, you know, little permutations here and there, add in another person for fast lane, whatever. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I could definitely see it. Have, and then you have Owens hold the belt the whole time, and then finally, that pop for Ambrose to win the Intercontinental title after chasing it for December, January, February, March, that pop inside Dow Stadium, I know I'd go crazy. It would be dope. Yeah, I mean, and... Uh... You know, you don't even necessarily have to have it be one-on-one right there. You could make it, like, say, a fatal four-way. You throw in Rusev and somebody else or something, but you still have Ambrose win. Uh, gets more people involved, and, you know, Rusev always is good in a feud, unless it's about Lana. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. The one thing that I could see is if they wanted to push uh, – just – Basically, they wanted to push someone like Rusev if they wanted to give Ambrose the title here. You keep Owens in the picture, but you transition into a feud between Ambrose and Rusev, which would also help more for the if they're keeping the League of Nations together. Who knows if they actually are the way they've been treating this stable, uh, if they're going to be around next week even. But uh, if they were, it would make sense. If you still have Sheamus facing Reigns, you have Rusev taking on Ambrose, you insert the Intercontinental title there. That could make some sense, but... I'm leaning towards Kevin Owens here. Uh, yeah, I, I think Kevin Owens retains. Yeah, uh, Glenn agrees with us. I like the idea of Ambrose carrying a belt, but I don't like the idea of Owens not carrying the belt. So, you Correct. know, 
we're we're kind of in the same situation here, where it's like we really like Dean to do something here because he's been spinning his wheels for so long. The one thing that's been a little bit well, not funny because you understand why WWE hasn't brought it up because they don't bring up anything from nine months ago. But they spent three months with Ambrose pining over this belt and talking about how important it would be and how he, you know, he went through the WWE headquarters, saw that wall of Intercontinental Champions, and they haven't brought it up once here. And granted, you know, that's very WWE, but it would be nice to go back to that if it was them. Yeah, because but the reason I think they haven't brought it up, I think they will bring it up after this match because I think Owens retained. Yeah. And the feud continues. But for the last month, because of the Rollins injury and them having to form the League of Nations, Roman having to have three other guys with him to combat them, Dean's been sucked into that storyline. And I think that storyline will probably end like with Dean being a major part of it uh, after this pay-per-view. Yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, but this match... I don't know if it'll be the best match. It'll definitely be a good match. I think this next match coming up might be my the one I'm most eager for on the card, and that's the ladder match, the triple threat match for the tag team titles. I really think that while it won't be nearly as frenetic, it won't be nearly as violent, I think this really could rival some of those ladder matches between Edge and Christian Hardys and the Dudley Boys, because all three of these teams are so good in the ring. I already said this today. Um, one of the straight coaches here on the Seahawks, his name's Mondre, and he is a big wrestling fan too. And I already told him, I'm fully expecting that match to be the best match of the night. And if it's not, I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah, it, there's no reason why it shouldn't be fantastic. It, there really isn't. All three guys, or all three teams are athletic. Uh, we... And the, the thing that people are forgetting is that not only are all three teams athletic, but even including Big E, every person in that match is going to have a massive spot. Oh, you... He's probably going to spear somebody off of a ladder, through the ropes, into like four tables. Well, I think that's what's going on. Yeah, I mean, remember, you know, the spot uh, Edge spearing Hardy when he's hanging on to the belt there? Mm-hmm. Biggie's definitely doing that spot, right? There's almost no question about it. Uh, if he does it, I would not be surprised if he does. It, it seems too obvious not to do. You have a guy with a spear who's we've seen is willing to do crazy moves like that before. He's he's got to do it. He got. I mean, the only question is whether or not he's wearing a unicorn horn as he's doing it. If he does it with a unicorn horn, give the man all the money. I mean, they already should give the man all the money and all the gold and. Everything, but uh... legitimately though, the only reason I could be happy uh, that the only reason I could be happy if the New Day lost the tag team titles right now would be a situation in which you just brought up where the League of Nations has all the belts, and now that the New Day has no belts, the New Day goes after the League of Nations and takes all their belts. Um. Yeah, that wouldn't. I mean, if if you put all the belts on the New Day, I don't care how you get it. You could have them beating, you know, the worst people ever, and it's the New Day getting the belt, so you can't really even complain about that one at all. Uh, How awesome would it be if we had Kofi as WWE champ, Big E as Intercontinental champ, and Xavier as U.S. champ? I was going to say Xavier as Divas champ, because that would be awesome as well. Just have them get all the belts. But, uh, I mean... Yeah, yeah, and then you have them free birding the tag titles. It, it would be glorious. It would be, 
let, let them reign for four years if that's the case. It would just be the greatest thing of all time. The thing is, like the thing about New Day that a lot of people I don't think appreciate so far is that a lot of teams that have these like little funny gimmicks that, oh yeah, it works, and then like they get over, and then like they run out of things to make that to be funny with, and they run out of stuff, and they fade into obscurity, like. Uh, the mega, the meta powers, the three man band, three man band, another great um, example. But the new day, every week, they are the most entertaining part of Raw. Yep, absolutely, and it, without and they question. Never and they never backtrack. They just keep getting funnier and funnier, and the things they do are better and better. And they are on a roll, unlike any I've seen in a long time. No, they are the new Edge and Christian. Every time Edge and Christian came out, you thought, okay, when is this going to jump the shark? When, you know, this has to jump the shark at some point. It's too entertaining. They're too over. This is ridiculous. And it never did. It just never did. And and the thing is that, like, we're talking about a time when the attention span, I mean, literally, literally, just a perfect example you can go from being the biggest thing in the company to a nobody overnight. Ask Roman Reigns, the fans turned on him in a fortnight. Like, these guys, no one who likes them has flipped the other way. No one. And many people who didn't like them have flipped the other way. Yep. And they're going to, man, they are, they're just the best. I, I hate, they're going to win, by the way. So yeah. I'm going to say New Day wins. We're we're getting off the point of picking the match, but New Day's going to win because they're just fantastic. Yep. Uh, Glenn actually goes with another prediction here. He uh, he says uh, he's actually at some point going to start rooting for the New Day to lose the belt just so they can move up to possibly something higher than the tag titles. Now, I don't know if he, they have to lose the tag titles in order to do that, but uh, he says he's rooting for the New Day to lose the belts, do something really awesome. Lucha Dragons could benefit from winning a high-flying type of match, so he picks the Lucha Dragons, and he also just wants me to make sure I mention that he hates you. (laughs) Hey, also, on top of that, what you have to take into account is, I can see them... (laughs) I I can't see them losing this match, and the reason why I can't see them losing this match is because I think the only way you take the belts off the New Day to uh, off the New Day, the tag team belts off the New Day before WrestleMania would be if you plan on them turning face within the next couple months and then having a chase for the tag team titles again to WrestleMania, in which case they're going to have to lose to a heel team. Yeah, and there are. And, I, I know and, and there's no heels in this match. Don't if the Usos turned. <laughs> like, could, could you imagine the Usos beat the New Day, and then people just boo because they beat the New Day? Yeah, I could see it. That would be the first time that the fans booed a Samoan because they weren't somebody else. That's right, absolutely. We'll get to that a little <laughs> bit later on uh, in this segment. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going against Glenn here. I, I'm saying the New Day. It just, I don't want them to lose. They're too awesome. <laughs> like, They're the best. They're the best. They they, they really are. They're as, as much as we bitch about uh, Raw, and me and Galdi bitched a lot about Raw even more than usual this week, uh, you know, we had nothing but awesome things to say about the New Day because the New Day is awesome.
be honest. Have you found out where your seats are going to be yet for Mania? Oh, me? No, I haven't found yeah. out yet. I, I, I don't even have my uh, tickets quite yet. I did get my tickets for Raw, though, the Raw after Mania. So. No, you told me. But, yeah, uh, be, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm holding off for Mania because the seats that I specifically want, they're, they're holding back some of them to do comps and stuff, so they haven't gone on sale yet. So I'm waiting for that second wave of tickets to go on sale, which will include the tickets that I want. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in there, but I've, I've noticed... I don't know whether it's because of the product or just because, you know, it obviously has to go down at some point. Tickets are already starting to drop on the secondary market for WrestleMania. Well, I mean, that's because it's so far away. Well, that, that that's why it shouldn't be dropping. That's the, it's so no, far no. away. See, the thing is, uh, one thing I've learned from secondary markets is that people are impatient. If you have tickets for an event six months out, and nobody's buying, nobody's buying, nobody's buying. A lot of people just get anxious and just... Yeah, though it's, it's only been three weeks since they went on sale, I think. So it, it's a little bit early. I didn't expect it to go down this quickly, but I did expect it. But it's lowered about 25% some of these seats uh, already. So I'm just kind of biding my time on that one. I know I can. So, yeah, that that's my uh, game plan for WrestleMania there. That should be everyone's who's not in the NFL. Me, I bought my tickets the day they came out. Yeah, well, that's because, you know, you have NFL money and stuff, and no one <laughs> blames you for spending it on WrestleMania. <laughs> As they shouldn't. No. All right, let's go on here. Uh, we got the Divas match, which is, I feel like, the one match that's actually been built in a, at least in a unique way, is uh, the, the what they're exactly they're doing with Charlotte. What do you think they're doing with Charlotte? Because I... You know, it seems like they. To make Charlotte, I think they're trying to make Charlotte a tweener. You think just a straight tweener, not necessarily a heel turn, but a straight tweener. I think that she'll probably go tweener for a little while, and then because I think with the the invention of Bad Day makes me think that Sasha Banks will be the babyface diva mm-hmm. fighting for the title at WrestleMania. I, I don't disagree with you at all. It, it feels like that. I, unless unless they pull the trigger on that match early and they call up Bailey for WrestleMania, it seems like that's the most logical situation is you have a face Sasha facing a heel Charlotte. Ooh, I think, or the only thing that would be cooler than face Sasha versus heel Charlotte, because I think she'll be a tweener for the next couple months and then turn heel. Four horsewomen match? Yes. Fatal four horsewomen match. Um, yeah, that wouldn't suck. I, I wouldn't mind holding off on that, but it certainly wouldn't suck, that's for sure. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. They clearly are doing something with her, and personally, I hope, you know, before she came up to the main roster, I guess it was a couple months before she came up to the main roster, Charlotte wasn't doing the Ric Flair mannerisms at all. She wasn't doing the woo, she wasn't doing the, you know, the knife-edge chop. She wasn't even really doing the figure eight. It wasn't until, you know... I think that they realized, okay, we want to call her up, so we want to make her a little bit more like Ric Flair. But she was just, you know, the, the genetic specimen. The, she had the natural selection as her finisher. She was just, you know, the female Brock Lesnar. And, I, and she was awesome as a heel doing that. And I wonder if this is them realizing, okay, she might be a little bit better as a heel, so we're going to push her in that direction. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and, I mean, truthfully... Somebody's going to have to be a heel in that four horsewomen match, and I don't think it's going to be Sasha Banks. I think Sasha Banks, this is my early prediction, okay? I think Brock Lesnar will have a great 
um, showing and a great pop when his music hits at Mania. But I honestly believe the top two pops at Mania will be The New Day and Sasha Banks. Uh, yeah, it's very possible. I mean, I don't know about the top top, but, it, you know, especially if Austin shows up, which I assume Austin is going to show But yes, as amongst, amongst the current superstars, not a terrible bet there. Not a terrible bet and, at all. And because of that, I think there, ha- there has to be, somebody has to be a heel other than Charlotte, I think, in that time, too. I can't think you, I don't think you can have heel Charlotte. If you're really going for that fatal four-way match, which I, I truly believe they are, which is why I think Bailey will probably lose her belt tomorrow. Um, really? I, I, it would make sense, dude. It makes sense. It would make sense. I just—I don't buy Nia Jax as a champion right now. I, I honestly, I, I think I—I I think I would have bought Eva Marie a little bit more. I feel like they're—they're they're going back there. I don't think I do think that she might lose it by uh, May because there is going to probably be a takeover in February. Uh, there, there has ten. That's when the schedule has st- started to come around. I just don't think it's going to happen right here. I think the best way to do it will be have Nia Jax absolutely annihilate Bailey. Poor Bill. I don't want to see and, her get and, annihilated, and though. See, and see her get, quote-unquote, injured and have to miss time. And then she just debuts on Raw randomly. Or debuts at uh, uh, Royal Rumble after the Divas match. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. a great way to do it, to get her off NXT and onto the main roster. I kind of I don't know if I like her debuting right there. If I, I like the idea of what you do here, you, you have Charlotte start to turn heel. Maybe you have her turn full heel by the end of the year here, and then maybe Becky challenges her at the Rumble or at Fastlane. Then you have Sasha enter the picture, and then weeks before Mania, like middle of March, that's when you have Bailey debut. You have her come out right as the three of them are showing down. You know. They're saying something along the lines of, you know, we're going to see who the dominant diva is, and then Bailey comes out middle of March, like just before the match starts, uh, you know, they really start to make the match. Uh, that wouldn't suck either, but I think it would work either way because Bailey's just great. And the full horsewoman single four-way match, I think that's written in the stars. It, I really do. Yeah, I mean, it certainly would make a lot of sense if they want to make sure that this is you know, with everything they're doing with the Divas Revolution, if they want to make sure this is the match that we want to, you know, everyone to remember, that would certainly do it. Uh, Glenn brings up an interesting point about this, and that's Paige's role in all this. Uh, Glenn says, I didn't watch Raw, but considering their current story arc, I'll assume they had Charlotte make out with Becky Lynch's crush after Paige told her that she didn't trust Charlotte around men, and yet Paige is supposed to be the heel here. I like Paige with the page more. Paige wins. I don't know about that last part, but it is funny that we're still supposed to be booing Paige, even though she's saying everything 100% correct. I mean, that's just what, that's what heels, a good heel says things that you don't want to hear and says them loud and annoys the hell out of you while they do it. Yeah. And that's what she's doing. I, the, I feel bad for Paige because truthfully, Paige I think Mike gets swept under the rug and all this. She definitely is going to get uh, pushed aside here. Or in Naomi. She's fantastic. What I could see happening is her linking up with one of those girls, probably not Bailey. I would probably say Becky Becky. 
and coming out at Mania and screw it and trying to help Becky win. And Becky could easily win. I think you saved that moment for Sasha. But I wouldn't be absolutely against Becky Lynch winning at WrestleMania either. I mean, Becky's my favorite of the four, so I absolutely wouldn't hate that. I don't believe it's going to happen. I think Becky is one of those things where you just kind of let her gradually build up. She's kind of the the undercard right now, and you let her gradually build up till people actually really want her to win the belt, which I don't think we're at that point. I don't think we would be at that point at Mania because if you play it up correctly, you, you bring up her past, you bring up the fact that you know she w- she had to retire from wrestling, she had the broken neck. And then you bring all of that up as she's getting ready to make a real babyface run here. All of a sudden, you have another Bailey type situation where people are desperate, and the entire crowd is behind her. Yeah, that could work too. I, but at the end of the day, I believe Charlotte wins, and I think Paige gets pushed to the back burner after this win. And I think Becky Lynch. I could see Becky. I could see a Paige Becky Charlotte. Uh, triple threat match at Mania. I mean, Mania. At a Royal Rumble. But that's honestly as far as I think Paige gets in this. Probably. Uh, it'll be interesting to see because they have been trying to branch out a little bit. It'll be interesting to see if once Paige gets out of the picture, if they you know, do what they usually do with the Divas, which is just kind of push whoever's not in the title picture aside, or if they actually try to make secondary feuds with her. I think, I mean, every, I think there will be a secondary feud because A, Paige is good. And B, to be completely honest with you, I mean, it might also just be a triple threat match at Mania for the belt uh, with Charlotte, Bailey, and Sasha. And then you could have a Paige-Becky feud building that time, too. Because they've been doing two Divas matches on Raw every Raw yeah. for, since the Divas Revolution started. So it's not that hard to build it dueling feuds, especially for Mania, it's four hours of television. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not hard. The, I don't just, you know, with the WWE, you never know if they're going to get that sort of thing right when it comes to the Divas. So, we'll see. I, I, I hope that they don't just push Paige aside, because as you said, she's great. <laughs> she shouldn't be pushed aside. She just needs a very clear direction at this point. Uh, that brings us to the final match of the night, TLC match, WWE World Heavyweight title. It's uh, Roman Reigns against Tater Tot. Tater Tot. Oh, yeah, did I mention Tater Tot? <laughs> I don't think there's... Uh, I just don't know if you can pull it. It just wouldn't make... It was, The last pay-per-view ending wouldn't make any sense if Roman wins here. It, the, like, I mean... The only way it would make sense is if they are just so panicked by what has been happening the past few weeks the numbers plummeting to you know to even lower than before the fact that you know people are there there was video of raw when the main event segment started people were leaving the arena in mass like the the aisles were just filled with people walking to the top they just weren't into it so i i almost wonder if they're just like crap we have to do something here maybe we will put the belt on uh, roman you know, I don't believe that's going to happen, but you got to make a change. It, it, something has to be different because they, they've botched this. It's not necessarily either of the people's fault, not Roman's fault, not Seamus's fault, but they have done a really piss-poor job of building this. You give them the League of Nations, and then you have Reigns run through all four of them with ease. You know, you, you give him this stable, which could be an actual powerhouse stable, and then you have them lose. And it's like, why are they together if they're just going to all be beaten by one guy? It's been a little bit of a botch, so 
you know, I could, I agree with you. Logically, it makes sense for uh, Sheamus to retain here, but just nothing about this has made sense over the past month. I don't really know. I don't really know what what direction to go in if Roman wins, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what happens next. Who's the person that challenges them? It, it, you're right. Who? It's very tough because... Cause you, if you're trying to get rid of Sheamus, that means you probably literally the next night you blow through his rematch, or you know, two weeks later you don't have that carry out to the Rumble. But it, you know, something has to change. Just something. The whole dynamic of everything has. To, you know what you maybe do, and and this might actually help um, Roman to to get back some of that momentum, which I do believe he's lost right now over the past three weeks because of the segments that they've done. Is, is okay, you, you sound foolish. Did you hear his? Did you hear the pop when he won the match on Monday? When he won the match, yes. I also heard okay. crickets throughout when he t- tried to say tater tots like ten times. Well, that's just one bad segment. I, uh, well, the... I, I no, I agree with you. In the match, he was good. That last segment was tough, though. It was, and I'm not. I'm not saying he's dead. I'm not saying he's dead. I'm not saying that you know he's buried. I'm saying he's lost a little bit of the momentum, and I you know something has to happen here. One thing I think that could, maybe, I, you know, it would be a little bit tough here. You throw him into a match with Triple H for at uh, the Rumble. Hmm. You have Roman win this match. Mm-hmm. You have him beat Sheamus like the next night. Hear, and then you hear Triple H say, you know what? I thought you were the man, but truthfully, there's only one man. And then he comes back, and it's Roman Triple H at the Rumble for the belt. Ooh, that could sell some pay-per-view buys for nine ninety nine. <laughs> I mean, it seemed like that's a natural match to have. It would almost be the most natural match to have at WrestleMania at this point, but there's no way in hell they're having Triple H win the Rumble. That would be a complete joke. So I don't think they're going to do that. But I do think that they could have it here. They, they, it feels like they need to have that match at some point. The, you know, that's the feud there. The feud is not Reigns versus Sheamus. And that's part of the reason that this feud has fallen flat, is that it's not a Reigns-Sheamus feud. It's a Reigns-Triple H feud, and Sheamus is just kind of there to be beat up a little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if that's the scenario they're going with, I could see Reigns retain, um, retaining, winning his second WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Oh, boy. <laughs> that just sounds but, so wrong that it's he's a, now a two-time champion. You wouldn't say that about Daniel Bryan. Yeah, I would. I absolutely, I, I do think that it's wrong to say he's a uh, two-time champion. I mean, I guess is he, is he technically a three-time champion because he won it and then was stripped of it again? I don't even know what how many titles he's technically won. It's it's hard to say exactly there, but uh, yeah, I, I do think it's weird that it's the second time. Well, he's still the two-time champ, whether <laughs> you think it's weird or not. So he is, and um, I. I could see that. I could see Triple H Roman at Royal Rumble. That's a nice match, um, and it's a good way for Roman to keep his uh, keep his streak going. But then the the one issue I have with that is that means a face champion goes into Mania with the belt. And well, that seems that like almost a necessity right now. Yes, but that literally means that. No one but Brock Lesnar can win the Royal Rumble. 
Well, there is one other man who could win the Royal Rumble. Well, there is, but he's not a heel. True, but he would be booed like one. Who? And his name is John Cena. <laughs> hey, hey, John Cena versus Roman Reigns at Mania 32 would not be the happiest all the internet. <laughs> no, no, it would not. But could you, could, could you, you could see them going that way, right? That is. You know what? Actually, I could see. Now that you brought up John Cena, you know what I really could see, other than Brock Lesnar, would be Roman winning. And then when Roman wins the belt, or beats Triple H for the belt, or uh, beats Triple H for Royal Rumble, the very next night is when you bring back Daniel Bryan. And that's how you begin Roman Reigns' heel turn without him having to join the authority. So what's the play here? So you're saying Daniel Bryan shows up I after Daniel, the Rumble? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Daniel Bryan wins the Royal Rumble. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. When, when Roman Reigns beats Triple H to retain. I just, I, I don't see how you go from doctors saying no, he's not cleared, to okay, we're going to trust him enough to main event WrestleMania. But he is cleared. He's not cleared by the WWE doctor. He's cleared he's by cleared other by doctors. Regular doctor. He's, right. he's not cleared by the WWE doctor because they just want to wait to bring him back. We don't know the exact reason. You know, it's very possible that they are concerned about it and they just don't want to clear him in case they clear him, something else happens, and then that's a big lawsuit waiting to happen. That's why you always sign... Sign. Pre-document. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you'd almost have to. Uh, Glenn has a question for you. Is replacement John Cena in the match? What'd you say? Is replacement John Cena in this match? (laughs) Replacement John Cena wins. (laughs) That's what he says. Okay. First of all, Roman Reigns is not John Cena. A. Tater Tots is a very John Cena line. That's also a very Rock line. Oh, Rock would have done something much more than Tater Tots, but, uh... Rock literally, literally called John Cena Fruity Pebbles. Man, that's true. That's actually very true. (laughs) (laughs) He literally did that on television, and we all watched it. Yes, yes, he did. Definitely a rock line. Okay. (laughs) But uh, anyway, he goes. These are his words. But seriously, though, after AJ tells us why we're the assholes for screwing everything up with Rowan Reigns and all, I can't fathom why the League of Nations would be a thing just for Sheamus to lose two weeks later. Sheamus retains to the the light of the Notre Dame Twitter account, and absolutely nobody else. Uh, yeah, I, man, your scenario sounds good though. Like, I I can't lie. I can't. I just I can't hand, unless they do something big. Like they need to do. If Sheamus does retain, they have to change everything about the dynamics of this feud because you cannot have. Roman Reigns kicks Sheamus' ass literally for two months straight in every single match except for the title match and somehow make this to the Rumble. Like, you have to change the dynamics here. You could see Roman start to lose to the League of Nations members, like, fluke losses, cheap losses, next couple months, build doubt, and then he wins it at at a Royal Rumble. But... Like, I mean, you've I almost already either... burnt that possibility by having him beat all four of them in a four-on-one handicap match. Yeah, but you know how that is. I mean, that's 
we don't remember things from a week ago. You did, you completely forgot that The Rock said, call John Cena Fruity Pebbles. And well, that was, that was, like, that was three and a half life. years ago as opposed to two weeks ago. But I, I do see your point that, especially from WWE logic, yeah, we're not supposed to remember those sort of things. And either Roman loses and it builds to him winning the belt at Royal Rumble or he wins and the feud is done. Which I, God, it almost might be the better thing just to pull that trigger. It, it really might be at this point. I, I, you know, I, I have, I think the match is actually going to be good. I, I think these two will gel pretty well in the ring. So I, I really, you know, kind of want to see the match. I just, this build has fallen so incredibly flat. Like, I just, I don't know the if I want to see more of great. it. The, yeah. the match is going to well, be great. And, and, and that's why? the story because they're two guys who will just beat the shit out of each other. You know why the match is going to be great? Because Roman's in it. Yeah. And Roman is great. Roman is a future Hall of Famer because he's great. Even though idiots don't like to notice well, it. Sheamus is probably he's a future great. Hall of Famer, too, to, to be fair. Also valid. But Sheamus gets in on a slow year, and Roman Reigns gets in the year he retires. Well, I don't know. De- definitely he headlines probably when all is said and done. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I think Sheamus wins because I think this feud goes to Royal Rumble. I think that's the play, unless you just really want to take the belt off Sheamus after one month, poor guy. But they just have to change so much. Like that's the thing. I I could see it. It makes more sense that way. But absolutely nothing they've done since Survivor Series has made sense. This feud hasn't made sense. What they've been trying to do. It is some of the, some of their because it seemed like they started to do okay. We're going to position Roman Reigns as the underdog situation. You know, he has to go through four different guys. You know, he, you have this powerhouse stable coming together, and then they're like, okay, well, no, no, we, we don't actually want him to be the underdog. We just want him to run through people. It's like, does he? Do they want him to be the buzzsaw? Do they want him to be the underdog? They can't quite decide. That is their fault that they can't decide what they want to do with him. Yeah, but it's not their fault that all this came into fruition no it's, it's not their fault survivor series is not their fault everything between everything after survivor series i do blame them for i do blame them for botching this but well let's let's just be honest with ourselves for one second seamus is just not that good like don't get me wrong i think he's a great in-ring performer and i think that his promos are actually more entertaining than most people do but truthfully like, just being frank, even though I like Seamus and I think he'll be okay in the long run, no one gives a damn about Seamus. You're, you're damn right they don't, which is, you know, you can blame them for not realizing that nobody gives a damn about Seamus. Yeah, but the only reason Seamus has the belts is because idiots like you booed Roman for no reason. What? Well, <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Once you give him the belt, like it, it yeah, would have made yeah, if you yeah, want him to, yeah. if you want him to be, if you yeah. want Reigns to be a buzzsaw, have him be a buzzsaw and have him win the title. You didn't need to get have Sheamus get involved here. That's the problem. They don't seem to know no, what they want to do with that. Reigns. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact. I'm talking about the fact that the only reason Sheamus is current was currently in possession of the Money in the Bank contract oh. is because idiot fans decided to boo Roman and would have booed Roman and cheered 
when Bray Wyatt came out and stopped Roman from winning the money in the bank. Well, they, they clearly right. should have given it to Kofi. I mean, we all know that right now. They clearly should have given the briefcase yeah. to Kofi. I mean, yeah, there's yeah, no question about fantastic. this. Like, that's the thing. They you, didn't have to go to Sheamus. They didn't have to go to Sheamus on this. And then they but, didn't have to pull yeah, the trigger the once is, they... The thing is, they did have to go to Sheamus. Because if you're not going to give it to Roman, who else could you give it to? At the time, did they think New Day was going to catch on like this? New Day had started to a little bit, but again, once they did give it to Sheamus, they didn't have to pull the trigger. They could have passed it off to Brock. They could have just had him lose. They could have had him lose at Survivor Series. Cash in and yeah, lose. They could. You're absolutely correct. However, and, and, and it almost would have been better at this point because then, again, you're establishing Roman as the buzzsaw. If, if that's where you want to go with it, you have him tear through everybody. Yeah, but how... If you have him teared through everybody, how, I mean, I guess that could build to him versus Brock, but just. But they're having him tear through everybody anyways. That's that's the problem. If they positioned him as the underdog here, I would have thought it was a little silly that they were trying to position Roman as the underdog, but it would have at least been, okay, that's why you gave it to Sheamus. You wanted him to overcome the odds to finally beat Sheamus, but then they're not having him overcome any odds because he's destroying everybody in his sight, including Sheamus. Well, well, to be honest, he's just the better of all the guys. No one in the League of Nations is in his class. You're right. I don't disagree. Well, all four of them together should be better than him. Like, they should. You have the champion and three other guys. They should be better than him. Well, I mean, not necessarily. Because if you take Brock Lesnar, we're assuming Brock Roman is the main event of WrestleMania, correct? I I mean, unless they're pulling think, a major think, swerve, then yes. Yeah, I mean, that that's the most logical. If, so if, you, if I'm so a betting man, I'm betting take, on that. So take Roman Reigns out of that match, the four-on-one match, and put Brock Lesnar in that match. Is there any different outcome? Um, I don't think Brock Lesnar no. gets. I don't think Brock Lesnar gets the Money in the Bank uh, briefcase cashed on him. I think he plows through Sheamus if Sheamus no, tries no, to come in. No, I'm talking about. You're talking about the. You're talking no, about no, the and I, I, I'm just. I'm just saying they're but. What I'm trying to say is they're booking him inconsistently. If if he's a buzzsaw, have him be a buzzsaw. If he's an underdog, position him as an underdog. Don't try to do both, which I feel like is one of the problems right now. Is they're trying to position him as both the underdog and the buzzsaw. And it makes no sense. Well, you can just be a buzzsaw with odds stacked against you. That's not. But they don't have. He doesn't have odds stacked against him right now because he's beating all of them. Well, clearly you don't know what odds mean. I do know what odds means. The odds means you are not the favorite. Yeah, that doesn't mean you don't win. But he—he's the favorite right now. He's winning every time. He hasn't lost. You can't say the odds are against him when he's never being laid out. He. Why can you not say that odds are against him on four one? Because he's every sing- he's at no point has he been the underdog even when it's four on one. Because he's beating Sheamus, he's pinning Sheamus cleanly. He is beating the four on one. You know, at at some point, if if the odds were supposed to be against him, at some point those four guys need to leave him lying. So there has to be some doubt that oh maybe these other these four are good enough. So far we haven't been given that reason to believe that those four combined, are better than Roman. And that's why they have the pay-per-view, because you never know what happens. You never know what happens. I think, like, I also think Sheamus is going to win, like I've already said. But I could see a situation in which Roman wins, and I would be ecstatic, because Roman 
deserves better than he's gotten thanks to idiots like the people that go to shows and boo him for no reason. Fair enough, fair enough. AJ, it's been awesome to have you on, man. You're going to be in town. You're going to be in town on uh, Sunday. You uh, doing anything fun before the game, or are you just a business trip, pure business trip? Um, we really don't have that much time to do anything. Um, we don't get there till t- midnight. Um, we leave Friday and we get there at midnight, uh, Eastern time. Um, and then like the next morning, I mean, the next day we do meetings and walk through in the morning. And so I only have like three or four hours that second day. And then I have no time that third day because it's a one o'clock game. So not really going to do much. Might, might go to Jimmy's Seafood. Might just probably just chill with the fam around the hotel. But for the most part, I'm just coming out there to get a W so we can keep on this playoff push because I've never made the playoffs, and I think it would be really awesome if we did. Definitely. uh, Seahawks look like they're in good position right now. They got control of the wild card, and I doubt they're going to relinquish it with the state of the NFC right now. So uh, I think we are going to see you play some January football. Yeah, that'd be awesome. For certain, that would be awesome. All right, AJ, uh, your Twitter account? AJ Francis 410. Uh, make sure you follow me. If you listen to this podcast and you don't follow me on Twitter already, you're kind of ridiculous. You're kind of running the point at this point. And uh, anything else you want to plug? Um, no, just, you know, go Hawks and get ready for this game coming up. Everybody tune in. Hopefully we'll be able to beat Baltimore in my hometown. Uh, that's the game plan right now. I hope everybody – enjoys TLC. I know Roman's going to put on a hell of a match because that's what he does. And he's a main eventer and he puts on main event caliber matches. So everybody get excited. Uh, Aaron, it was an honor. Glenn, kiss my ass. You can't respond, but kiss my ass anyway. And I love you guys. All right, I'll let you sign off here. This is the main event. Event. (laughs) Signing off. Holla, y'all. When we come back on Jobbing Out, Al Galdi back in the studio here. Wrap this up. We'll talk about Shakara's new grand champion and more. Stay tuned. Wrestling fans, it's time for Wrestle Crate. Wrestle Crate is a pro wrestling themed mystery package that appears in your mailbox every month with action figures, pop vinyls, DVDs, wrestling books, fat heads, and much, much more. Plans start at only $15 a month and every crate contains a t-shirt from ProWrestlingTees.com or BarbershopWindow.com. Those t-shirts are $19.99 by themselves. Check them out at WrestleCrate.com and follow them on Twitter at WrestleCrates and search WrestleCrate on Facebook. Come on! You know I got ya! Yeah! One! Break the one! Alright, and we're back. Thanks a lot to uh, AJ Francis with his always optimistic TLC preview. Al Galdi rejoins us here for segment three, which is the quick count. We'll talk about three things out of the storylines here. We try to focus on the not storylines and number one we tend to go out of the realm of wwe for this and just so happened i was up in philadelphia for shikara up at the 2300 arena the old ecw arena when uh, i didn't expect this i got to see some legitimate history at shikara as shikara put their top title the grand champ the grand championship on kimberly a woman becoming to my knowledge the first promotion to ever do that hmm. yeah I, I've talked to you about this uh, off the air. I, I am not a fan of the whole female on male thing in pro wrestling, but Chikara has carved 
out for itself a very nice niche. And you told me the crowd was actually pretty good. They do some decent business up yeah. in Philly. Yeah, especially for this was the season finale. Yeah. They, they structure their stories in a way where every year it basically turns over. They do a new overarching storyline. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like a TV show, basically. Yeah. Um, they had probably about 800 people there, so it was a pretty solid crowd in the ECW arena. And they popped when she came out. It was a situation where... Their overarching storyline was it was a competition based storyline. It was called the Challenge of the Immortals, where they had eight teams of four, and throughout the year they all faced off in various sometimes it was singles matches, tag matches, and they got points. And then at the at Top of Banana, which was the name of their show, the two top teams, which was the Wrecking Crew, the powerhouse crew with names like Max Smashmaster and Blaster McMassive, basically the four biggest guys mm-hmm. in the company. Against the Crown and Court, which was basically the Bad News Bears. Crown and Court ended up winning, and they all got gold, what's called golden opportunities, where they could cash in for any sort of title shot they wanted. At the end of the night, after a triple threat match, Kimberly came in, cashed in, and ended up winning the title. Um, I definitely understand what you're saying about how you're not a big fan of intergender wrestling. Yeah. And I think part of it is how it's presented by a company. There are some companies, like whenever WWE has done intergender wrestling, they've done it in a way that's usually very degrading to the woman. And and they make it very obvious that it's, you know, they shouldn't be in the ring together. You know, even with someone like Lita, who is pretty good, you know, usually there is always a spot in there where she gets, you know, picked up by the belt and the guy smacks her on the ass or yeah. whatever. I think one thing that we're seeing a little bit more in in the indies right now with people like Kimberly, with Candice LeRae, uh, some of these other wrestlers, is that they're treating them, you know, they're acknowledging that they're women, but they're treating them more as just generic underdogs instead of, you know, sexualizing their movesets, sexualizing it. So it almost feels like it's a Rey Mysterio knocking off a yeah. wrestler as opposed to a woman. But I, I just, I think the suspension of disbelief thing comes into play where, you know, a guy is selling for a woman, a guy is punching a woman, things like that. I mean, I, I saw it in Lucha Underground. It was one of the things that turned me off to Lucha Underground for all the great athleticism that was on display on that show. Watching g- girls go 50-50 and sometimes even better with guys, I, I just had a hard time with it. Now, that's on a national TV scale. Something like an independent promotion like Chikara is different. This, First of all, Chikara has been doing this for a while. It's not new to this. It's got an audience for this, so I think it's it's more palatable in a circumstance like that. Now, do you feel the same way when it's, you know, when Rey Mysterio beat the Giant? Obviously, that's not realistic in any way, and quite frankly, Rey Mysterio, when he was in WCW, wasn't that much bigger than Kimberly is now. I think he was... You know, he beefed up a little bit to, like, 175 in WWE. But oh, in w- yes, he did. He, he got on the magic diet in WWE. <laughs> yes. yeah. But in WCW, he was legitimately wrestling at about 140 pounds, and he was taking on some of the bigger wrestlers. Did you have a problem with that at all? Not as much, um, and, and especially at that time because you're, you're advocating for this new style of pro wrestling, and so you wanted to see guys like that get put over. Now, a guy like Mysterio, it's tricky, but, like, someone with, like, a Chris Benoit who would right. use submission moves and, and more of a hard-hitting style – you, you could buy into it a little more. Um, so, yeah, I, I think guy-on-guy guy you're always more willing to buy into than, than girl-on-guy, especially with guy-on-guy. Guy, some of the stuff that went down in Pride years after that where smaller guys beat bigger guys, it can happen. It's not easy. There, there's a lot of technique that goes into it, but it can happen. Um, in, uh, in I think the male-female thing, I hate when you know TNA is doing it in its, uh, in its dopey uh, tournament that's got going on for the championship. And, and while they're... they're 
they're doing it better than I thought they would. Like, they're certainly not having the girls go 50-50 with the guys. They're still doing it, and they're still having some of these guys sell for the women. I just I, I don't like that. I don't think it does the women any favors. I mean, to say, you know, to say nothing of what it does to the male performer. You know, it's hard to say. The point is, though, you know, whether or not you like There are some people who like it. I, t- I actually had a chance to talk to Kimberly recently. That'll be out in Rolling Stone probably later this week. And, uh, you know, she's just like, no, if, if you don't like it, you know, it's not your thing. That's one of the great things about wrestling. Yeah. There's something yeah. for everybody here. But at the same time, you know, this is how it's going to be. This is, And I, I like the term. I didn't even prompt her to say this. This is the real divas revolution right here that there's a company that could cons- even consider putting their top title on it. And in a year where I think when we look back at this, if nothing, you know, obviously it's going to be looked on fairly negatively. But one of the if we're saying what happened in 2015 in wrestling, I think we could end up looking at this as like the year of women's wrestling with the whole give divas a chance, the divas revolution. This is the real divas revolution when we can be start look at the same as men. It's an interesting thought, and it's, you know, nothing else. Good for Shikara for taking that risk. Yeah, and I, I just, I, again, I would say on a national scale, I think you have a much harder time doing it. But with something like Shikara, you got to be different. You got to stand out. So I, I think it's it's a lot more acceptable there. It'll be interesting with how we look back on this year when it comes to women's wrestling. Is it a glory year? Is it the start of something? Or do we sort of look at it and laugh and, and, and like, huh, remember that? Remember when that we thought it was going to be something and ended up being nothing? Um, I think that's going to be that's going to be a fascinating thing to follow in the business over the next few years. You know, I, I don't think this is going to be remembered as a glory year, but it could, I think, kind of be the spark to potential down the line. Could we be. will see. And 2016 is going to be the big factor in that because it seems like they're starting to get the Divas division right in WWE. Just starting to, but they got a long, long way to go in it. Getting better. I, you know, the matches still, to me, are disappointing, especially off all the good things you heard about what was going on in NXT. I, I think they've had a hard time translating that to the WWE level so far, and a recipe for disaster when it comes to booking is the constant turn, and I'm a little afraid of what's going on with Charlotte, where already they're turning her heel you don't want to get caught in an angle or a big show situation where you end up turning 20 times over your career. It doesn't do you any favors, and I, w- I would be real cautious with that if I'm WWE. Yeah, we talked about that with AJ. My hope is that if they are turning her, it's because they realize she's a much better heel than a face, yeah. which she is, and they've just kind of realized that, so they're going to do that and then have her face, you know, potentially by WrestleMania time, have her face Bailey in like the, the ultimate underdog versus uh, yeah. heel champion match. Uh, number two, this one was an interesting part. We've been talking about Mick Foley a lot over the past few weeks. He's constantly been, you know, almost the credible voice of the wrestling fan criticizing WWE when it deserves to be criticized. And we find out last week that his son, Dewey Foley, is now going to be part of the creative team. We don't know exactly to what degree he is. And it sounds like this is almost going to be kind of a tryout situation. He sits in on meetings. He he has the ear, he can make suggestions, but it doesn't sound like he's going to be a real active. But I uh, really found that to be an interesting situation there. So, help me out, he's what, in his mid-20s? Late 20s? Pro- either early or mid-20s, I yeah. believe, yeah. You know, I don't hate it, and uh, um, if he, if he's into the business and he has a good mind for it, that's fine. But they shouldn't be... They should have on their staff, like I, like we talked about earlier, two or three or four really smart disciplined people and that's that should be their creative staff bringing in outside people and trying them out i understand what they're trying to do it's not the worst thing in the world but if you really want the product to be good and to have a uh, a definite direction i i just i think having 
a smaller group of people doing this is the way to go about it. Maybe Dewey Foley is the next, you know, Heyman or Sapolsky. Could be. You know, who knows? Just because he's a younger guy doesn't mean he doesn't know what he's doing. But I got to think, especially in that environment, it's awfully difficult for someone in his late 20s to be challenging, you know, a Stephanie or a Triple H or a Vince or a Kevin Dunn on the direction of the company. And so he'll maybe have an idea here or there. But I I think that's an awfully intimidating environment for someone. It also has to be an awkward situation. His dad still is, you know, I believe he still has that Legends contract. I'm not one. I remember there was something a little bit about that. I believe, you know, he still shows up every now and then. And being such a vocal, it's funny, after after this comes out, of course, he puts out his best review of Raw in the past yeah. couple months. So there's a question about that. They're almost, you know, buying him off here by uh, doing it. He denies it, of course, but who You knows? never know. You never know. Uh, now, is Noelle, is she still with the company? She was never with the company. She is training to be a wrestler. She's still, you know, she's still she's kind of... She's not a contract? No, she's okay. not. She, she's shown up on some of those DVDs, like she did the, you know, like Best of Christmas matches when right. Mick hosted that. And everyone kind of assumes that at some point she's going to be working with them. She's, you know, she's beautiful, and if she can wrestle at all, she seems like a natural fit for the WWE, but as of now, she has no official affiliation with the company. I mean, to me, if you're really trying to get the smartest minds on your committee, why are they hiring Dewey and not Mick? Not, not that Mick is is what he was years ago from a following the business and being into the business standpoint, but if you're really trying to get sharp minds, he certainly at least at one time had a really sharp mind for the business. I, I don't know how into it he is anymore. I know he does those reviews, but... Why are they going down this path? You know, that'd be something I'd be real curious about. I mean, it seems like this is something that, you know, Dewey has been wanting to do for a while. Apparently, he's kept a whole blog where he's been, you know, putting out, you know, storylines, putting out creative samples, like scripting out shows. And this is something he's really wanted to do for a little while now. So it might just be something where Dewey wants to do it. Mick doesn't want to do it. Could be. And again, maybe Dewey's great at it. You know, you, you can't dismiss things like this, but... Again, I think that environment, I think it's one thing to be sitting at home writing up storylines. I think a lot of us could do a pretty good job of that. I think when you are in that environment, it's awfully tough. And a lot of smart people have gone in there and walked out of there with their tails between their legs. It'll it'll be an interesting situation, and for all we know, Dewey Foley's going to get you know chewed up and spit out real quickly. I hope but, not, but he could. Yeah. He could. It, it's very possible, and we'll see what – but good luck to him. If nothing else, good luck to him. And if he's – he seems like he's a true fan. He's another one, you know, just like his dad. He has done critiques of WWE in the past, and they've been pretty spot on. So if they can get a real fan in that room, you know, maybe that's something they need. Yeah, but, you know, they've hired people like that before, and it hasn't done much to help the product. That's – you know, I remember when they hired a guy like Kevin Eck. You know, you mm-hmm. get excited. You're like, all right, here's someone who knows things and ended up not really meaning much. Yep. Uh, number three – uh, it's been a little bit of a slow news week presently here, but we are on a really interesting anniversary here. 14 years ago today, Chris Jericho became the first ever undisputed champion, beating Austin and The Rock in the same night to win the title in a tournament where he was almost definitely the underdog of the four. Angle was the other person involved in it. You know, How do you remember that night uh, 14 years later, Al? Well... I remember 2001 was such a sad year for pro wrestling because you had, of course, the peak of the Attitude Era with WrestleMania that year, and then you had the downfall of not just the era but the entire business. And so that late in 2001, you were coming off the failed invasion angle, you were coming off the failed Austin run as a heel, and you were you were searching for something new. It's not It's not unlike where we are now from a standpoint of, 
looking for the next thing. Now, you're not coming out of a boom period like you were back then, but you know, you're sort of se- you're, you're seeking for what's next. How can we get better here? The Jericho thing was bold. Uh, I was very excited by them going with him. I think it's still a stunner years later that the first undisputed champion Vince picked was Chris Jericho. But you, you, you are being incredibly naive if you don't look at what became of that title right. reign. It was a disaster from a booking standpoint. Mm-hmm. And if 2001 was the year where business plummeted, 2002 is the year where we were really smartened up to why business was plummeting, and that was the bad creative. And you look back on how Jericho was booked leading up to that WrestleMania match with Triple H in 2002, it was a joke, you know, being subservient to Stephanie McMahon. I mean, it was really embarrassing. Running over Triple H's dog yeah, exactly. at one point. Right. Exactly. So, you know, for Jericho, it's something he, he he's brought up, obviously, in promos for years. He's milked the heck out of that. Good oh, yeah. for him. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to look back on, on – we talk about, you know, the, the last third of the year, September through December. That year in particular, 2001, that was a real tough one. And that was a real odd time in the business. It, it was rough. You know, one of the things I remember, uh, it was in Jericho's, because it was in his second book, because his first book only led up to when he was right. in uh, WWE. He talks about how he found out about it. And he writes it off as kind of a little bit of a comedy, but he went into the bathroom. He didn't know who was going to when he figured, you know, he was probably just, and Vince McMahon walked in after and. You know, he said loud. He was in another stall or whatever, and he said loudly, intentionally, kind of in a joking way. I can't believe we're about to put the belt on yeah. Chris Jericho, and you know, he meant that as a, a joke, or at least the way Jericho puts that off. And you almost wonder if that was actually Vince McMahon saying, "I can't believe we're about to put the belt on." Chris no, I think Jericho. it was. I, I think there's a lot of truth in that humor. And one thing that was always interesting to me from Jericho's books. Vince, he and Vince have a really weird relationship. Mm-hmm. And I, you probably can say that for a lot of people with Vince, but Vince has never come off, at least in these books, as a huge fan of Jericho's. Like, it almost seems like he's gone to Jericho and used him because he can work and just because he's sort of there, not because Vince really believes in him. And, that, you know, of course, that's another thing about the year 2001. You had for a brief time Benoit and Jericho getting the mega push, you know, the famous match in San Jose against Austin and Triple H. And Vince pulled the plug from that real quick, and he, and he booked them to look real weak in uh, that late spring, early summer. And so to go back to Jericho later that year for that first undisputed championship, it makes that even more stunning. And I, I think that story is very telling. I don't, I don't think Vince is kidding when he says that. I think there's actually a lot of truth in those comments. It's, uh, it's, it's you know, could have been one of the, you know, ushered in one of the great eras where finally, you know, one of the fans' guys, the guys they've been wanted to right. see getting it. And as you said, it ended up being about uh, Triple H beating the crap out of him. Yeah, and, and and what was not a particularly good WrestleMania, the one in Toronto in 2002. Right. You know, Rock, remembered Rock Hogan. Right, and you remember that because of the crowd reaction, not because the match was anything special. Uh, but you know, Jericho is is a guy who gets a, should, deserves a lot of credit. He's been a Hall of Fame performer. He's he's outlasted a lot of his contemporaries. He's sadly outlived a lot of his contemporaries. But the undisputed title thing, as much as like if you're putting together his resume, you'd list as like a high point. In in some ways, it is a low point from a fan perspective because you think about what was going on in the industry at that time, and you think about what what became of that title ring. Yeah. As I always mark that moment as the the official end of the Attitude Era in my mind. I know some people say it's when WCW got bought. Others say it's when they split the brands in half and Eric Bischoff walked out. On Raw, but that—that's to me the moment where the Attitude Era officially died. Why do you say that? I, I feel like there was a notable change in the business after that moment because a Triple H started moving in and taking over, and then the creative 
just the creative after that moment felt so different from the creative before. Yeah, although the cre- see, it's funny with the creative because the creative started getting bad, bad. after Mania yeah. that year with the invasion angle. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, I it's you know you you, you can the demarcation for the end of the Attitude Era. You got about ten different options right, exactly. in the year two thousand one. So. Um, yeah, so there's all that. So we, we've bitched a lot, except for AJ. AJ never bitches. AJ, God bless him, is positive. always there. It's good. All, always there to be positive. But you know what, Al, you don't know this. At the end of every show, we give our chance. Talk about five things we actually like in wrestling and in WWE specifically. So we do our top five. We go from five to one. I'll let you start with this one. What what are uh, What's number five on your list for you? Uh, number five is Renee Young. Renee Young is awesome. In her role. She is the best interviewer in the pro wrestling sense since Gene Okerlund in the 80s. And in some ways, she's better because one thing Gene did, especially in the later portion of his career, is Gene could be kind of a scene stealer and he'd make these goofy faces and they were funny, they were entertaining, but they kind of drew attention away from the actual wrestler. Renee is great. She never stumbles over her words. She asks very quick and concise questions and she reacts very well to the wrestlers. Uh, she And, of course, she's she's beautiful. Renee Young is an awesome talent. And I know there's been a lot of talk of, well, maybe she's going to do play-by-play. Maybe she's going to go to ESPN. If she wants to do ESPN, that's one thing. But in terms of the pro wrestling business, they should never change what she's doing. She is perfect in that role. And as we have seen time and again, that is not a role that just anyone can do. It takes someone – it's not as easy as it looks. And she is outstanding in that spot. Yeah, I, I don't disagree at all. I think that if she did, she was – put behind the booth in uh, NXT and there was rumors that she would go to SmackDown. I think that's a mistake. She wasn't necessarily great in the color role. She, you know, she tried to be a backstage announcer while on while on the mic, which doesn't really work no. that way. Um so yeah, I mean she's very good at what she does uh, and it'll be interesting to see if she become rises to the level of Mean Jean. Uh, I think she's a little bit too understated to ever really be a Mean Jean, but she could definitely do her role. My number 5 is uh, The Miz. I think on uh, both, he was one of the bright spots of Raw. And JR, for a while now, has talked about how he thinks they should just completely transition him to be a manager, and he could potentially be the next great manager. Hmm. I'm not so sure about that, because I think he does have a lot to offer in the ring as well, not necessarily as much as he does. But he manages, for the most part, to make all of his segments at least somewhat memorable. He's able to, again, for the most part, there are a few train wrecks in there. But, um... He's able to get the direction going, and he's a good foil for so many people. He was a great foil for Flair and Charlotte. He was a great foil for Neville. Every time he has someone to work with, he makes the person he's looking with better. Let me ask you this. When they brought up his wife, do you think that was a random one-segment deal, or do you think they're starting to lay the groundwork for the return of Maurice? Because I think that is the one thing that could really make Miz special again as a, as a wrestler, is you, you team him back up with Maurice and you do what you should have done years ago, which is really push that duo Push them as a power couple. Yeah, yeah I think it would be um, tremendous. I mean, I have no – Maurice coming back would be amazing. Maurice was – she's always underrated. She, You know, she wasn't a great worker in the ring, but as her character was phenomenal. Just the the uh, the movements, the, the The hair flip. Was tremendous, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's one of those – a lot of divas have obviously left voluntarily. That's one of those that you really look at and, and, and you wonder about what if because they never really got to do with her what they should have been able to do with her. Yeah. All right. What's your number four? Uh, number four is the seeming apparent breakup of Del Rio Coulter. And 
if you're going to get on track, you have to acknowledge where you've gone wrong. And the duo never made sense to begin with. They dropped the Mex-America thing a few weeks ago, and now clearly they're getting away from Del Rio Coulter, unless it's a swerve, which is possible. I guess I, I should hold off on this. But I like the fact that they're, they're admitting this was a bad idea, it's not working, let's separate the two, and let's have Del Rio either be on his own or even better if, is if they bring back uh, the ring announcer. Ricardo, Ricardo yeah, that which is oh, what they should have done. Phenomenal. Um, Del Rio, I, it's been an un, uninspired return for him, but he obviously can still work. He's in the best physical shape he's ever been he in. He looks bored in the ring, though. Yeah, he does, because I think he's come back for the money, not because he's inspired creatively. But that can change. And I, to me, if you brought back Ricardo, and, and if you really allowed him to be more of himself, he, like I said, cosmetically he looks as good as he's ever looked. So clearly there's still a desire to, to shine on some level. I think they could still get a lot out of him, but it starts with breaking him and Coulter up, and it would seem that they're doing that, and that's a good thing. Yeah, it's kind of shocking that they actually broke them up instead of just trying to shove them down our throats even more and more. Yeah. I, I do think there's something to be said about the ver- the real possibility of Coulter getting back with Swagger at TLC. Yeah, no, I don't think I. I think they go back to being a, a mid to lower card act. Right, right. They'd be they'd be that low card act, but they would be together and make them. Because Zeb is better. It's better when Zeb is on TV. It is. Although I, you know, it's it's tough with a guy like Zeb who can't bump, who's so limited physically now. I I, I don't know how much you really can get out of him. And, and if they go back to something they've already done, I mean, it's better than what they're doing now with him. But I, to me, that would have a short shelf life. But we'll see. Well, we will definitely see. Uh, my number four, I'm excited about uh, one match in particular at TLC, and that's the tag team ladder match, the yep. triple threat. I think that there is a very real possibility with those three teams involved that that ladder match could rival, maybe not because they're not as, as elite as the three in 2000 were, but that ladder match at WrestleMania 2000, I think that there is a chance that they could put on a similar style show and type of entertainment it won't be nearly as violent because it's a different era right now but all three of those teams can go and this could be a very pivotal moment for the tech video where you're like oh this is what we've been missing all this time yeah i mean there was a recklessness to those matches that we obviously look back on today with not the same way we look back on when those matches were happening but yeah those guys are all more than capable of having a great match the key as it is many times, is are they given a lot of time? Are they given 20, 25 minutes to tell a good story? If they are, there's no reason why that can't be a four-star match. Yeah, I mean, right now there's only six matches listed for TLC. I don't know if they'll add any more to it. It would be It's really hard unless they add a Stardust-Titus match yeah. at one point, and we'll get to Stardust-Titus in a little bit here. But, uh, you know, it's very possible that they do get the 20-minute long match, and, you know, anytime the New Day's on TV, it's entertaining. Not so a it, bad thing, yeah. It should be a good match. All right, uh, Kevin Owens would be my number three. It's interesting, anytime his music starts up, people react to that initial, I don't know, guitar riff. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the proper uh, labeling would be, but people react to the beginning of his entrance music. People like him. They want to see him. And it it was curious, you know, the fight Owens fight chant that was going on during his bout with Ziggler. He's obviously a very good worker. We all know the character is really good. But he's a guy who I have not gotten sick of. And, and I think with a lot of acts in WWE, especially with the way they are portrayed, you sort of get tired of them after a while. Or you, you become, uh, like, apathetic towards them. And with Owens, I still very much look forward to his segments. He's really good. You know, the gimmick of the prize fighter is Brock Lesnar-like. And I think that is the way more guys should be portrayed. They are athletes. They are there to earn a living. They don't do that nearly enough. Uh, but Kevin Owens remains a positive, And in a year that has not been good creatively for the company... He has been one of their successes. He's had a good year, and to me, they've done a good job with him. Uh, 
Well, I don't completely disagree. I think they've completely botched this feud for two reasons. A, you had Ambrose at the beginning of the year in the IC picture talking constantly about how much it would mean to him to win the belt, how much, how important it was. You know, he went back in January, saw the wall of champions with all the great intercontinental champions. To not bring that up again is a huge mistake. The other thing is on Raw, you know, you have two of the better mic workers in WWE right now, and you do a segment where Ambrose just throws coke in yeah. his face. That was that's a huge. Well, that's lame. Yeah, the WWE's book part. that feud and the booking of it is poor. Just Owens to me as right. an act is still very much a positive. But we could spend three hours on how they right. ruined Ambrose. Ambrose is that's one of the things that really angers me. How they they've like turned him into this corporate buffoon as opposed to the badass heel that he should be. Yep. Uh, my number three is I'm going down a level here. I'm just excited for NXT London. That's coming up next week. That's going to blow TLC out of the water. Quite frankly, you have you're setting up. An interesting card, just because we've gotten so used to some of the same guys at the top of NXT. You know, you had the Divas match, the Baileys and Sashas and Charlottes to carry a match. You knew that was coming. You knew Zayn would probably be involved in a match, maybe Kevin Owens for a week. This is a completely new build for uh, NXT, and it's a very good show. You have the top title, which is, you know, the IWC's wet dream match of Samoa Joe and Finn Balor Mm -hmm. going at it. Everyone's been waiting for that since Joe showed up. Um, I think one of the more interesting matches is actually going to be uh, Baron Corbin, who has been getting so good over the past six months. Once he finally embraced the, I'm going to be the anti-IWC guy, I'm going to, I hate these indie guys. Yeah, you were wrestling in gyms, but I was selling, you know, yeah. I was wrestling in front of 70,000, or not wrestling, playing football in front of 70,000 people. He's really become good that way. Him going against Apollo Crews, I think is a great match, and the whole Bailey situation that they have going out, that is how you build a baby face. You put insurmountable odds uh, against her, and they're doing that with Nia Jax. I love what they're doing there, and that's going to be a great show. And the London crowd, of course, is going to be phenomenal. London will be London plus NXT is going to equal one of the hottest crowds of the year, yeah, without question. It's going to be awesome. Uh, my number two is Sasha Banks. The charisma that she possesses is off the charts. To say nothing of the look, to say nothing of the in-ring ability. Um, she, I think of, of the big three that, that were brought up from NXT, Becky, Charlotte, Sasha, I think Sasha's the one who's going to go the farthest. And I think Sasha, you talk about, you talk about WrestleMania earlier. I, I think WrestleMania very well could be Sasha winning the championship and, and this sort of becoming her era and her division at that pay-per-view. It reminds me a lot of, of like the rock Austin thing years ago, where the more you saw the rock, the more you realized, and, and not that Austin was down at the time, but you know, obviously he got hurt. There is a charisma here that very few people ever have possessed. I don't know that I've ever seen a female performer in the business who has had her, her charisma. I mean, you know, people talk about like Missy Hyatt and, and some of the like Sonny. That, that's about it. And, and he, I, I would take Sasha over Missy in a mm-hmm. heartbeat. Sonny had a special charisma. Maybe she's the only one who I would put ahead of Sasha, but that would, that would be a debate. She's tremendous. The, the, the entrance music is great. The mannerisms. And I wasn't thrilled with the dancing, like I said, but... They have got something very special with her, and I've sort of liked how the last few months they've kind of kept her off to the side. They haven't ruined her the, the, the way they, they've done damage to me. Not necessarily ruined, but done damage to people like Becky and even Charlotte with this quick turn. Yeah, it. Um, I really think what they're doing is they're setting up Charlotte to start turning towards the heel, Sasha to start becoming the baby, and that's yeah. your WrestleMania match right there. Yeah, I mean, Sasha, it's, it's tricky as a heel. Obviously, it's a lot harder to be a face than a heel, so we'll see if she, if she can maintain Her boss this. persona is, yeah. yeah. But the the whole act is is top-notch. It's really, really good, and, and she uh, she is something special. I, I think if you were to rank charisma on the WWE roster, 
probably New Day is number one. She's a close number two. I mean, she's that good in that department. Oh, she's she's phenomenal. And, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, she's just great. I, I included her in my number one as the, the – f- and I think everyone who knows – who has listened to this before knows what my number one's going to be. But And we'll get to her in a sec- that in a second, that whole segment. But uh, my number two is actually uh, – I love – what they're doing with Titus right now, the whole Titus Stardust thing, putting and making Titus feel like he. There was that period where after the they pushed the primetime players out of the title picture, where they didn't have Titus on TV that much, and that's such a mistake because he can do everything. Put him on commentary, put him in backstage segments. I don't know why they're not having him wrestle more, but whatever. Titus is the total package. He's fantastic, um, and. Pairing him up with Stardust, you know, I, I said this last week, I, I think it's a fairly inspired idea. Two guys who have been underutilized and working together, while it can get a little bit too goofy, I think has worked perfectly so far. I want to see what they do with it. You know, the whole thing with him telling Del Rio to look out, you know, is Titus going heel? Like, what exactly Yeah, what was that? There? Yeah. Um, but I do like that they're inching toward, it would seem, Stardust dropping the Stardust gimmick, which I am not a fan of. And I, I would the sooner he gets back to being Cody Rhodes, to me, the better. It, it's interesting that of all the people they're choosing Titus for, if that's really what they're yeah. doing, like... That's the person who's starting. If I doubt he'll be the one to get it done at the end. Who knows if they'll you know have gold dust back in the picture or whatever. But to choose Titus of all people for that shows something there. Yeah, and it's funny too with Titus. You mentioned he can do everything. He's got one of the best looks on the roster. Mm-hmm. And Vince, who you know loves guys, are all jacked up and cut. Titus looks great. Why he isn't on TV more wrestling is is a bit puzzling. I mean, the only thing that you know we could ever really think of is just his age, and it's too late. They don't really want to invest time in a guy who's pro- maybe gone from the business in two years because he's already in his 40s. Yeah, I guess. Although, you know, obviously they haven't had a problem doing that with Batista. Right. I mean, if a guy's got it, he's got Though it. Though Batista was an exception, pretty much to the rule. You yeah. don't have a lot of guys getting their first push well after their mid-30s. Yeah, but, I mean, they, they saw fit to, when he came back, what, two years ago now, he's up in his 40s and they're willing to use him. So Well, that uh, was also him as a former world champion. He, already, he didn't need to invest anything in him. Yeah, but, I mean, if, you know, they have, again, five hours to fill. Yeah. Like, I mean, so what if he's gone in two right. or three years? And he may not be gone in two or three right. years. Who knows? Right. Who knows? Um, you're number one. Yeah, I mean, this isn't original or new, but the New Day. Yeah. It's tremendous. Now, I, I'm a little worried that they're going to get overexposed because they're using them more and more. They've eaten up a lot of the segments that Seth Rollins used to get, but it's, it's, it's tremendous. It's one of the great success stories of the last five years. These guys who were dying in their current gimmick, and they stumble into this heel role, and it, it is spectacular when you look at now the successes that have been generated by these post-Mania Raw crowds, you know, going back to Daniel Bryan and Fandango and now the New Day thing. It's, it's, it's awesome. And uh, for, for all the things we bitch about and complain about what has happened with the New Day this year, this has been the year of the New Day in yep. a lot of ways in WWE. Yep, I'm going to be writing my, like, best of 2015 article for the Baltimore Sun in the upcoming weeks. And unless something really weird happens in the next couple of weeks, the New Day is easily going to be my performers of the year. Yeah. They, they've been awesome. And that segment, you know, bringing the internet videos in where they, you know, they've been dealing with Team Bad all the time. Having that, just everything about that segment was so wonderful from them coming out, the look on Team Bad's face mm-hmm. when they came out, the unicorn horns. The fact that they all started dancing, and, and this was one of the my, I think this is the favorite, my favorite thing that Tamina has ever done on screen. Everyone starts dancing with each other, and Tamina's just in the background, and she's like kind of, sort of strutting, but not really because she's, you know, that's her character. Yeah. She's very stiff. It was just 
everything about that was so wonderful. And you know what they do, too, when they talk? They're, they're very, like, you, you want wrestling to come off as cutting edge and progressive and young. And they, they throw in a lot of little things. Like, when they did the acting thing with the, kit, the cat in the tree, mm-hmm. and they go scene, and they bow. Like, that's, that's, you know, you have to be a little younger to get something like that. And they throw those things in there. You know, some of the video game jokes that Xavier has made. There's a lot of value. Like, sometimes it's those little things that make the difference. They're very mm-hmm. good with those things. And I, I tell you, I look at this, too, and, and I say, wow, you've had Kofi Kingston on the main roster since, what, 06, 07? Yeah. And it's only now that we're seeing this from him. Like, where? why wasn't this being done with him years ago? I mean, he, had, he was floundering for years, doing nothing in the mm-hmm. same position. You know, intercontinental title mid-card guy. And now we see this personality. That's tremendous because this is not one of these groups where it's like, it's really one guy carrying it or two guys. It's all three. They're, hypothetically, and we've talked. Me and Glenn have talked about this in the past. When they do eventually break up, which hopefully won't happen anytime soon, all three of them will be better for it. They will. Although I don't think this is this is a shield thing. I, I think they break up, and I I could see all three guys having a hard time in WWE for a lot of reasons. I think I think it's one of those you know the sum is the, the whole is greater than the sum it's of the parts. I think Big East. Big E looks like a champion right now. I, I, I think I, they could. I think I think it's going to be really interesting. And given WWE's history, they probably will break these guys up. And, and I'm also encouraged that they haven't turned them face because that's going to be the next thing. Is they're going to turn them face? They, they've shown a lot well, of discipline keeping them heel, which has been good. That, that's a big thumbs up to WWE. I mean, one of the amazing things is the merchandise sales. That's always kind of the the barometer yeah. of where they are. Their merchandise. Apparently, you know, these unicorn horns went on sale. They sold out instantly. That's so funny. They sold out basically. I mean, it's so, it's, of course, it's so stupid, but sometimes right. that's what works oh, the best. I mean, you tell me if, if WrestleMania was next month, there, there's always this mania crawl. And like two years ago in North, me and AJ and a few others, we all bought the, the white family sheet mask and we did, you know, we did our bar crawl with the sheet mask. I, I bet you we get unicorn horns this oh, time that's around. That's the way to go. That's the way to go. But I, I, it's 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 not unlike like the New Age Outlaws, where there were these guys who were just sort of there and they had nothing going on, and you put them together mm-hmm. and it's something special. And again, when you broke them apart, they were never the same again. So that's that's why to I me, mean, New Day, keep them together, keep them as heels. It's it's a tremendous tremendous act. All three guys get a lot of credit. Yep, that's our top five here on jobbing out. Uh, once again, out. Thanks a lot. Uh, Twitter, at Al Galdi, G-A-L-D-I. Anything else you want to uh, plug right now? I'm good, man. I appreciate it. Enjoyed it very much. Yeah, hopefully we can have you on more in the future. And uh, always fun to talk to you. I'm the A Oster, O-S-T-E-R, on Twitter. You can find me at the Baltimore Sun, the Ring Post blog, as well as the Rolling Stone wrestling section. I got a couple interesting things coming up. I got, of course, I mentioned before, the interview with Kimberly after winning the Chicago Grand Championship. I will have my full TLC preview on the Baltimore Sun as well as the TLC recap. And I got a lot more. I did a really interesting interview this week. I don't think it's going to be out in the next couple weeks, so I'll, I'll keep kind of hyping it up. But I got an interview with a great international superstar. I think a, a lot of you guys will be really excited for in the future. So for Al, for AJ, for Glenn, who's in Nashville right now at the winter meetings listening to country music and uh, drinking and listening to Dusty Baker run his mouth, uh, I'm Aaron Oster here for Jobbing Out. Thanks all for listening.